The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Hello, this is Zack Sabre Jr., New Japan Cup winner 2018. And you're listening to Keeping It Strong Style with my mates. Enjoy. Yo, this is Rich Ladder from One Nation Radio. This is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network. We present to you the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Let's go. It's the Ace of Podcasts, Keeping It Strong Style. Covering New Japan, they ready to hold it down. Jeremy Donovan and the young boy Josh. Come and hit a job out in Barrio the Frost. From Tokyo Dome over to the G1. Social Suplex is the network where we can get it done. I'm a chiller. And let them have it Cause this is just an intro Keeping the strong style Six stars from the get go Boy Yeah from Tampa Bay To the Tokyo Dome This is keeping it strong style With your hosts Jeremy Donovan And the young boy Joshua Smith And thank you for listening Welcome to Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. Jeremy Allman here with the young boy Josh Smith and Chris Sampsa. On today's show, we'll preview G1 Climax 32 and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following the Social Suplex Podcast Network or Keeping It Strong Style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating interview. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tees store, prowrestlingtees.com slash socialsuplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPW EXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com. With features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. You can visit NJPWEXT.us today for details. Guys, it is G1 season. We are back to the regular timetable for G1. How are you guys feeling about G1? Grade 1 Climax. Let's go. Um, my second favorite preview of the year. Um, only touch behind Russell Kingdom. But yes, here we are, G1 in the summer again. Just where it belongs where I can watch the shows live while the sun rises. I couldn't be more pumped. Yeah, um, very excited. Uh, kind of a little bit intimidated just because of the, you know, the new layout format of the tournament. So kind of feels like even though some things are back to normal here in the summer, some things are kind of like new and, you know, unique and fresh, which isn't always a bad thing. And, uh, you know, we're going to give you guys the full breakdown of the most prestigious tournament in all of wrestling. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm definitely a little intimidated right now. I've got a few weeks left in the final stretch of my wedding coming up, and my, <laughs> my house is getting remodeled right now. Um, so I'm, like, working in a constru- construction zone right now. Like, there's literally, like, nothing pretty much in my house. It's a bunch of ladders and tools. So getting through all that and keeping up with G1 is going to be tough, but I will do it because I am committed to you people, the listeners. 
Yeah, I was gonna say this is your first commitment, like a number one priority in your life right now. <laughs> you know, obviously I support your marriage and I'm happy for you and that's all great, but like if it leads to you slacking on your G one viewing, like I'm gonna have to put the kibosh on it, you know? <laughs> We're gonna need daily star ratings on Twitter from you, Jeremy, <laughs> and I want them up by by eight AM on show day, okay? I, I will I will put up my star rating threads. I don't know if they'll be, you know, on, on time right after a show happens, but we'll we'll see what happens. <laughs> they better be accurate because ratings, takes and opinions are not a game. Oh, all right. My ratings are always accurate. I mean, you can ask the group. I mean, the group concise that I am a, you know, very accurate star rater. Well, before we get into G1, there's something that just some family business I think needs to be handled here. Uh, I was listening to um, the other New Japan podcast, uh, Super J cast recently, and, you know, the name of Chris Hamza came up. And uh, I just need you to know, Chris, we were your friends first, okay? You need to let those guys know that. Like, this is where, this is the true home of Chris Samza. Like, Jcast, that's like a, I don't know, that's like some moonlight shit, you know? <laughs> I actually, I don't know if that's true because I think I met Joel digitally before I met you guys. I'll call um, that. That don't matter. <laughs> this is blood. This um, runs deep. But I did meet you both in person before I met either member of the Jcast. So. We had Korean um, listen, barbecue I together. Am, we, we did, but I, I sat in a beautiful luxury suite with Damon, so that's a mm. different level in mm. its own way. Um, I, you know, I'm equal opportunity when it comes to New Japan audio. I want to be, want to be clear that I am um, a freelancer. I'm like Suzuki out here. I, I, it may seem like I have allegiance, but you know, we'll see. Um, yeah, you but got, you like, got to keep me happy. You, you, you got to keep are, me happy. You are like Suzuki. <laughs> you got to keep those. Okay, Suzuki, you got to keep those paychecks coming in. Technically, Suzuki is a freelancer, but let's not kid ourselves. He's a New Japan guy. That's you. You're yeah. You're technically a freelancer, but well, really, you're you're a kiss guy. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're a kiss boy. I. <laughs> well, okay. I'll I'll break the news here. I'm I'm gonna be on Jcast tomorrow. Oh, boom! Mm. No, <laughs> So yeah, Damon, I, I put, you know, I put that tweet up yesterday that was like, I'm pretty sure this is my only audio this week. And like three seconds later, I get a text from Damon. That's like, yo man, let's do the Joel's out of town. We should do Jcast or whatever, you know? And I was like, you know, you got to do it when, when opportunity rises, you got to mm. do it. So, so I'm going to hop in on Jcast and I'm, I'm working on a situation where I might not be a audio free agent for much longer, but uh, that doesn't mean I, uh, that doesn't mean I won't uh, dip my toe out. From time to time, you, so you I'm happy to revive, happy to be here. You and Chris Charlton hmm. are reviving the official NJPW podcast. I cannot <laughs> speak on that at this time. <laughs> Ooh, sounds like we got a little scoop to talk about after we get off the air. I was, just, I'm literally just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> well, guys, let's not waste any more time. Let's talk about G1 Climax 32, our big preview show. I know that there are longtime listeners. I also know there are probably some new listeners, a lot of people diving in for G1 season, a lot of people who watched Forbidden Door and are AEW fans or trying to get back into New Japan or getting into New Japan for the first time. So let's give you guys a quick overview. So this year's G1 Climax will feature 28 wrestlers divided into four blocks of seven. So we'll have an A block, a B block, a C block, and a D block. 
each participant faces all six other wrestlers within the same block in singles matches. The winner of each block is determined via a point system with two points for a win, one point for a draw, and no points for a defeat. Each night of the event sees one match from each block between two members. On the final two days of the event, the winners of each block will enter a four-man playoff to determine the winner of the tournament, who also receives a future match for the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship at Wrestle Kingdom. For the first time in three years, the block returns to the summer, moving away from the previous years where it was held in the fall between September and October due to the 2020 Summer Olympic Games being held in Japan while coinciding with the COVID-19 pandemic. At 28 participants, it is the largest field in G1 Climax history and the most amount of competitors since 2014. The tournament will also run in a four-block round-robin format for the first time since the year 2000. So I guess first thing, guys, how are we feeling? I know we kind of touched on it a little bit. How are we feeling about the four-block format and the increased number of participants? I love the increased number of participants because I like yeah. having more new guys to get into the G1 fold, right? I think that's that's important. So it, when it comes down to the G1, once you're in, um, unless you're kind of a special drop-in, like a guy like Moxley, like once you're in and you're like a New Japan guy, like you're, you've got a pretty good shot at being in next year's tournament too. Um, so that's what's cool about some of the, a lot of these first timers, right? Um, guys like Lawler and Jonah, um, El Phantasmo, maybe, right? We'll see where that goes. So I, I love bringing more guys in uh, while not necessarily ditching a bunch of people that had, had been in the tournament. So I think in that sense, it's good. Um, the four block format is really interesting, right? It's the first time they've done it since 2000. And it's the first time we'll have semifinals since I think 2009. So that's like an interesting wrinkle to throw in there too, is that the, just to have that second tier. And I, you know, we'll talk a lot about where that could go, but um, I think this will break some of the, I guess, booking patterns that, yeah. that we see, we've seen a lot of over the past couple of years. And, and a lot of them have, have almost become, um, I mean, they become trends, right? A guy starts, right. starts slow and, and ends hot or starts hot and slow peak in the middle, right? Like everyone's got, there's, there's a finite number of arcs that you can have, you know, especially when you're doing the same nine match tournament every year. So shorter tournament for each wrestler which is actually makes those arcs a little more challenging to tell and i have plenty of um kind of analysis around the the scheduling as we go through too but yeah i mean overall i like the uh controlled chaos of a new format that i think um i think we're trying this year and and i kind of hope it it goes well and it sticks yeah um totally agree with most of the points you made there chris um the one thing I do slightly disagree with is you mentioned, and rightfully so, you said historically most of the time you get into this G1 and then you, you're kind of cemented at that point, you stick with it. Um, but with them having 28 guys, that would assume that most of those guys would stick in it if hypothetically they continue with this format or some similar format or similar size tournament. They might not, depending on the success of this. Uh, but the other thing too is like... Um, 
there's just a lot of, I mean, we just, there's so many variabilities here that we, and unknowns, because like you mentioned, this is the first time they've really kind of messed around with something of this size and this nature. Um, one thing I think that's cool about it is it is just very fresh and kind of new and exciting because sometimes if you've watched this product for a while, Gato's has certain trends like you mentioned. And so it becomes a little predictable, but we've, we've noticed in the past uh, doing keeping it strong style when they've changed the formats, different tournaments, whether it was the super juniors moving to a single block in December or like the uh, super junior uh, tag tournament turning into the league a lot of the assumptions we had going into those tournaments kind of got flipped on their head because there was a whole different, you know, just, uh, I guess, ideology behind who does what, who gets what losses and everything like that. And so that's kind of probably what I'm assuming we're going to see here is just uh, an entirely different kind of look to how Gato might book this out because we don't really have anything in his, like his history to kind of compare it to for, you know, a perfect comparison, if that makes sense, which I think is kind of cool and kind of exciting. Yeah, it's definitely going to break up some of those traditional booking patterns when you only had two blocks. And it might have been a little bit easier to kind of figure out, all right, who's going to win what and kind of see maybe the story that Gato is laying out. But, yeah, I'm very excited for this. I think it's going to be a cool mix-up, especially after two years of COVID G1s where we pretty much had to stick with the domestic rosters. We didn't have a ton of foreigners in the tournaments. And so I think that kind of killed some people's excitement. You know, unfortunately we still won't have um, vocal fans yet. It'll still be clap crowds. But I think with the addition of a lot of new, you know, de- debut entries, we're having some foreigners come back like Will Ospreay and Jay White and then with the four-block format, I think it's going to make things very enjoyable and very unpredictable. Yeah. we. I mean, when this was an idea that I kind of, like, postulated on this show, what, four or five years ago initially, and kind of for different reasons. At that point, New Japan was sort of at its apex, and there was a lot of guys that are now gone from the company, and a lot of the guys that are in the tournament now we're kind of on the outside looking in and we wanted to get them in. And I was like, why don't we expand the field and do four blocks? You know, this is a little different though, to where it's like, um, I don't even know that it was fully necessary because it's not like the product has been as hot as it was in say 2017, 2018, but maybe to some extent it is because some of these guys that are just now getting in probably have been deserving of an opportunity and they didn't necessarily want to cut out some of those veterans who like a Goto or someone like that, who's maybe not ready to be put out to pasture. Um, and so it's going to be really interesting to see if it continues beyond this, um, you know, some of the benefits, you know, more rest between uh, nights of work, uh, the potential for them to probably with them having less matches each night, probably have longer wrestling times per match, which will hypothetically probably lead to, maybe better match quality overall um if, if you kind of equate longer matches to better quality matches which is definitely a possibility here and then they also kind of get fresh matchups but also they save a lot of matchups that they're not burning through throughout the year so but then again at the same time it's not that endless when you have an a block or a b block that's stacked 
and you kind of have that endless gauntlet night after night of classic after classic after classic, and they, they're kind of keeping the guys contained a little bit. We're not getting that same mix of of banger after banger necessarily. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. Some of these questions still have to be answered once we see it all play out, I guess. Yeah, in regards to the scheduling, like normally when you're looking at a G1 schedule or, or historically recently, what you see is there's a couple of nights that you're like, oh my God, that's a lot of great matches, right? And right. I think that because, first of all, there are there's pretty much one match from each block on each night. Um, and then, you know, a, a handful of, of cards that have two matches from one particular block. But what we see then, though, is that the, um, I guess, the quality of the overall show or of the four, I guess, the excitement level around each show is almost the same because you've got a couple of matches that you're really going to like a couple of matches that are just gonna, that are just on the card and may surprise you. And then the undercard, right? So there's not a ton. There's not a, there's not a card that I looked at and I was like, Holy cow. Like that's going to be a ton of really great matches, like match of the year quality matches. That's not to say that they're not all purposeful, but it does kind of level out um, where each card is happening. And I think part of that may be, to drive ticket sales in, in uh, venues that they don't usually go to and things like that. So I think this is part of the big kind of return plan for, for new Japan is to give really good high quality shows without necessarily having one. That's a big peak or a, a big feature because they were able to just spread out the cards. However they wanted, they just needed to run these 84 matches over the course of the 17 block nights. Yeah. I think, Splitting up the the block matches each night, so having one match from each block, or sometimes you're gonna have like each block with it would be one block that has like two matches each night. I think that's a, a smart way to kind of split it up. I think it's gonna make the cards more well rounded. I think it does lead the possibility to have some nights where you do have some better matches because you're not just sticking strictly to all A block. You can throw it, you pepper in a B block match, a C block match, a D block match. I think it makes the card like you're saying, Chris, more exciting. You kind of you're kind of focused on all the blocks, not just one. And so I think it does add a different dynamic uh, within the scheduling and how you watch the shows. Well, I mean, it definitely uh, creates kind of a holistic view of the tournament. Like you mentioned, Jeremy, I mean, it's not an A block or a B block night. It's the G1 is taking place and everything that's happening on this night is relevant to its core, you know, the match is relevant to its corresponding block. So it's all kind of happening in real time and they're not devoid of one another, you know, that sort of thing. So for instance, to kind of give you an example, let's say if there's one block you you're in the past, if like you loved the B block, but you weren't so high in the A block, you might be inclined to skip some of those nights. But here, if there's one of the four blocks you're not as keen on, it doesn't really matter because the blocks that you are high on, they're all happening simultaneously. So it kind of detracts from that idea of like, stagnation and nights 11 or 12 like there has been you know historically yeah well let's go into Do these you guys think oh. oh i was gonna i was gonna ask if you guys think that that'll make it easier or harder for people to kind of keep up with the tournament and then i guess can we provide a little bit of guidance to how we're planning on doing that well i i definitely think that it can create um challenges but also benefits simultaneously you know, because um, like I mentioned, it is happening holistically. So maybe if you're 
watching it, you know, arduously, like you're not going to be so, um, you're going to be more immersed in it, I guess is how I view it. But at the same time, if you fall behind, it's, it might be harder to kind of like keep up with it if you're a little bit behind or even just, um, keeping tally in your head. It's like, okay, which block was that one from? It's not all right happening on the same night the way it has in the past. So it's, and I think for all of us, because it's new, even for us as viewers, we're going to learn as we go. So it might wind up being something that we all really like. People might be split on it. There might be people who absolutely hate this for some of the, the reasons that like, you know, Dave doesn't seem to be high on it for quite a few reasons. I think some of the, the criticisms he's brought up are valid, but they might get, uh, you know, if, if the tournament turns out great, he might not care so much. Yeah, and I'm sure, you know, NJPW1972.com is going to have the, you know, the daily updates, keeping track of the score. Other big wrestling news sites will be, you know, making their results in updates. So I think that'll be an easy way. Cage Match is also another great resource that will keep updating on, on the points and stuff like that. So there'll, there'll be resources out there for people to kind of keep track of who's winning what, who has what points. Um, but I think with it, I mean, you can just focus on the tournament matches. It's probably, it's either, it's four to five matches a night. So I, I think it's, if you just watch a tournament matches just alone, I think it'd still be pretty easy to keep up with. That's another good point yeah, too. I mean, like oh, the one thing I was going to say absolutely. is like, <laughs> the one thing I was going to say is, uh, you know, normally if it's like five matches, that's sometimes a harder watch as well with it being four matches per night might even make it easier too. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say most most of the cards, especially early in the tournament, are, are four, and then they kind of go up to to five, and then the last the last block night has eight. But that is, I'm sure, intentional to be to be one of those big uh, big cards. So, yeah, I mean, I I obviously won't have a problem because I'll be like updating all sorts of stuff, and I you know I'll I'll do my best to kind of find a rhythm to help people stay caught up via like Twitter or sportofprowrestling.com. But um, yeah, as a, as, as a consumer, someone who's not producing something with it, I, I do find that if you're not, if you weren't completely engaged in it when it was just in the two separate block uh, nights, you know, it was, it was a little bit easier to jump in and be like, all right, well, what's going on in B block. Right. Like, and then everything yeah. You're just immersed in that block's action, and then you're like, okay, I have an understanding of half the tournament, and then you can pick up an A block night the same way. So um, we won't have that luxury. So we'll have to be kind of putting the pieces together ourselves, which um, as a pretty dedicated fan base, I don't think will be a, a problem, but it does create a new wrinkle. Well, one thing that happened during the uh, recent uh, Best of Super Juniors, like halfway through the tournament, they just started having all of the tournament matches on the same night. And that won't be quite the same thing here, but I feel like that probably is giving us a little bit of a taste of what this might be like, because when that happened, I kind of stopped really thinking of, of the tournament in terms of, okay, it's A block or B block nights. Like, okay, the G1's happening and these matches are all relevant to their blocks, but it, it wasn't like a, a compartmentalizing of everything, you know? Yeah. Right. 
Yeah, I think that the best way for people to keep up with those, hit that subscribe button. Stay tuned to keeping the strong style every week. Um, Josh and I will shameless be, plug. <laughs> we'll be covering the tournament every week. You know, giving the update on the standings, what's going on, the stories, and the matches, and the blocks. And I'm sure we'll probably have Chris on again at some point in that run. We'll probably have some other guests too. So stay tuned. We'll, we'll guide you guys if you're new or having troubles keeping up with the tournament. Well, let's uh, focus on the blocks now. So we'll go through each block and kind of give a kind of a holistic talk of the blocks and the participants and what we're expecting matches we're looking forward to. So we'll start with the A block. In the A block, we have the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, Filthy Tom Lawler, Filthy Tom Lawler Jonah, Toriano, Jeff Cobb, Bad Luck Fale, and the Murderhawk Monster, Lance Archer. Big boy block. Top heavy block. <laughs> it's it's monsters right i think it's monsters is probably the the way they want us to talk about that so um big boys strong um but when you really look at this right like if you're setting the odds okada and Cobb are probably the top tier those are those guys that you figure can can definitely go through um then you've got archer and Fale kind of hitting that mid middle tier of guys with G1 experience so that we've seen what they do in the G1 and that's kind of where they land. And then you've got Lawler and Jonah. We have no idea how they're going to perform, right? I think we've seen them in a completely different environment for a really long time now. And we want to see kind of what they bring to the table and maybe where they're going to be headed as they start to work some time in G1 or sorry, new Japan proper quote unquote in, in Japan. And then you've got Yano um, who has a ton of G1 history and, and, and a place in the G1 world that I'm sure some people really, really enjoy. Yeah. Some, yeah. some people, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, one thing though, with that kind of a concise breakdown, I am wondering if Lance Archer gets the AEW boost. I know we kind of wondered this about, sure wheeler utah and it didn't really pan out that way but this might be the make good he's the one aew representative in this tournament he's a guy that kind of bridges the gap between those two brands and has had really standout tournaments uh, especially his at his last tournament he had before he left the company i wouldn't be surprised if he does better in this tournament than he has in any others previously the other thing too these guys are wrestling what six matches so, I mean, the the importance of each win and loss is so much more weighted and than it ever has been in recent times, you know, when they're wrestling, you know, nine or ten matches, whatever. Yeah, I think... Yeah, and it's a, little, it's a little tough to look at kind of the history if you're looking at, like, points, right? Because, like, so many of these tournaments... I'm looking at tournament results back to 2002 right now, and... So many of them, everything from 2011 on, had more than nine right. um, wrestlers in a block. So, you know, I, if I'm looking at Archer's points, you know, he was he had six points in 2019, and then he had a run of eights in 14, 13, 12, and 11. Um, but eight points now would be four and two. I mean, that'd be a pretty good G1, you'd have to think, right? So, you know, um, six points is is three and three, which is actually probably where someone like Lance Archer is going to land if, if I'm guessing, but, um, but yeah, I mean, it does, it, it, it makes things kind of hard to, 
to look at that way, right? There's no more equalizer of like, oh, it's always the same number of matches. So, yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah. I think Archer can it can go either way with him because we look in AEW. He he is protected at, at some points in AEW, but he is that big monster that kind of eats a lot of falls to you know the the big bay faces, and so. Um, he's yeah. not he's not super protected in AEW, and so that could help with the booking here in New Japan. They can present him as a monster. He can be very dominant, but of course he can get that banana peel uh, roll up, and people can be he's beatable. That we've seen that on AEW. But Josh, we making that good point of him being the only AEW guy, and the way that Yuta was booked in Super Juniors, this could be like you said the make good and Archer with you know 2019 was a really great G one for him, and he's a, a lot of fire in that whole. U.S. title picture he was in before he left, they could kind of capitalize on that to, you know, make him a real threat in this block and push him as one of the guys who could be a finalist. Um, I'm really interested in what's going to happen, like you were mentioning, Chris, with Tom Lawler and Jonah, because we've seen with, you know, Clark Connors and Super Juniors, he's a guy that was, is one of the top guys on the strong brand. He's a former title challenger and didn't do so hot in Super Juniors. And now we have um, the former longest reigning champion, Tom Lawler, and Jonah, who's been undefeated on Strong, entering into this New Japan world. So I'm wondering if Clark Connors' deal is just because he was, you know, a young line from the LA Dojo, and they're still kind of easing him into that lane. And is with Jonah's undefeated streak, and with Lawler being, you know, the first strong champion, longest reigning strong champion, and only losing to Fred Rosser, I'm wondering how the strong booking is going to play into the New Japan proper booking for those guys. And they both have, the schedule makers were not particularly kind to to either of them for, for different reasons. So Jonah starts on the 17th against Yano, and then he has 12 days before his next block match, which is the longest between... Wow. Any any two block matches, um, and then he's got Lawler on the second night, and then Lawler his tournament doesn't actually start until night six of this tournament. It doesn't actually start until um, July twenty sixth, which is the latest. Um, nobody nobody else starts the tournament later than that, and then Lawler's whole tournament happens over the course of nineteen days, whereas the whole tour is is thirty one days. So, um, so those are. I think that second match for for both of them um, against each other is actually going to be one of the more interesting matches um, worth worth checking out, both because they're both great wrestlers and also because of how that may play into strong going forward. Yeah, that's something I hadn't even really given a lot of thought to. I mean, we we say based on just the pure logic of it, like, oh, they're, they're wrestling le- less nights overall, so that gives them more rest. But we, but until you actually break down the, the schedule, there are things like it's not a perfect science because we can't apply the, the former previous schedule logic to this. Like you mentioned, I mean, like, what did you say? Eleven night gap, twelve. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, that it, in story that could hypothetically be like this guy's getting iced essentially, you know? Right. So, so I, I I've of course broken this all down, um, <laughs> and then because after that, after that twelve day gap. Jonah then goes another five days, but then he's got three matches in five days. Yeah. So then, between then, the between the fifth and the ninth, he wrestles Jeff Cobb, Okada, and Lance Archer. Oh, what a tough so, stretch like, right there. That's right. That's a tough stretch, right? So like that's those are the little nuances wow. that I'm excited to, you know, like unearth, I guess, as as we go here. 
and it it had that that when I say it's added a new wrinkle, like this is a pretty big wrinkle with the rest days and the on days. There's a couple of guys that have to wrestle back to back nights in block mm. matches, which is I can't even think of the last time that would have happened in a G1 because of the two block format. Mm. So, um, yeah, there's a lot to dig into. We got, I got more. I got more coming. <laughs> um, going back to Archer, speaking of what you mentioned there, Jeremy, I think really the trajectory of how well he does or doesn't do depend will depend on two things. Number one, how much they are trying to continue to strengthen and bolster that AEW partnership. And maybe vice versa. Maybe Tony Khan is trying to strengthen it by giving them a guy that's beatable. And and maybe that's the paper he's doing for them. Or maybe they want to elevate him to kind of help solidify things. The other thing, too, is how New Japan management might see potential in him to be a guy to come back down the line and do business. You know, because they were pretty high on him just before he left. And it seemed like they were getting, I mean, they gave him that U.S. title they're really starting to like utilize him and push him in, in a way that they never had before. And if they have uh, any intentions of doing something like that again in the near future, that could tell us a little bit about how they, they might potentially book him in this tournament, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think Jeff Cobb is going to be another interesting one to keep our eyes on with the run that he had last year. You know, he blazed yeah. through the block last year, only losing to Okada on the, the final block night. So we've definitely seen Cobb, you know, be elevated, be pushed higher and higher up the card. And so I think for him, it's, uh, you know, is he going to continue in that pattern of last year? Are they going to continue to elevate him up that card? Is he going to run through guys? And with a smaller block, it's harder to kind of get a streak like that. Um, so there's only so much matches. And there's a lot of guys in here. You probably don't want to beat a ton of the guys that are in this block. I mean, when I look at it, I mean, Yano and Fale, like the two guys, I'm like, I can see those guys. Those two eating a lot of losses, but I'm not sure you want Okada eating a ton of pins, or you know your strong cha- former strong champion Tom Lawler, or a guy like Jonah who you've, you've been pushing as undefeated. I don't know if a lot of those guys are going to eat a ton of falls, so it's going to be interesting to see kind of the momentum Cobb picks up if he's gonna, if he's going to be in play again like he was last year to potentially win this block. Yeah, I thought about the whole thing yeah, with but- Jeff Cobb, and I was a little. Kind of like, well, he he set all these records last year. He went on this undefeated streak, yada, yada. And it's like, damned if you do, damned if you don't here. Because if he does do something similar, that's pretty impressive considering the entries in this block. But it's not as uh, impressive as going like, what, 9-0 and or whatever it was he did last year. So it's like, it's not quite the same thing. It's a, a measure less. At the same time, if he doesn't do it, it's like, damn, like, you know, you've kind of fallen off in a smaller block. So it's like, how do they sort of rectify something like this? And based on what I'm seeing, just to even be in the money, to be in the contention when a block, you probably want to wind up with that minimum, like, what, eight points? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I don't think we'll see a block winner under eight, um, which means you're going to have some, you're going to have guys go five and one, I think. Um, And someone might buzz through a, buzz through a block undefeated like that i guess that wouldn't surprise me just based on it being the it, the the blocks being so small so i think you know we won't have to wait very long to kind of see where where we're headed with jeff cobb or he's going to have his big moment on night one right if he night one the main event is okada versus cobb um tying it back to the last night of block action last year so 
I think that that's that's a match worth circling on that first night to see. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that'll be a pretty good indication of of where we're headed with Cobb. Um, I wonder if he if he gets that win right. If that is a monkey off his back, and then he he doesn't go on a run through the tournament, right? But he had his moment, so that's something to keep an eye out on. So, but I do feel like as we're talking, like I've convinced myself that this is the parody block, right? This is the block where a bunch of guys go three and three and just somebody wins at four and two, um, you know, with just the right victory over the other guy or guys that end up at four and two. So like, this feels like the most evenly balanced block. So see, I'm, I'm wondering about that. If like, I was, I was literally thinking like, are we going to see a bunch of blocks that are non parody based? Like we, you know, in the past, a lot of Gato's booking does have strong parody and that, is a lot harder when you have these smaller fields. Um, and think about like this last year's New Japan Cup. He had all the favorites just kind of like swallow up those first like three rounds until we started getting the interesting matches. That was so divergent from what he'd done in any other New Japan Cup, mainly basically because of the, the field size. And so I think we're seeing something kind of like that where it's like, it's, it's, it's so hard to know what this guy's going to do here. Yeah. So who who we think's winning the A block? I mean, this is probably this is probably the best chance for me to say what I believe now more than ever is that anyone can win a block because you've got that semifinal in the way of even going to the final. Right. So when it comes to you know the the business side of it or the booking side of it, like the the barrier to someone winning a block is is much shorter now. So if if they want to really give someone a rub or get someone going throw them in the semis, right? Like, yeah. but you also got, you got to sell tickets to those semis. That's what I was thinking. So, right. So like, and you got a big building. So Where are they taking place? That Budokan. Okay. Hmm. So yeah, you've got the three night run in Budokan. So, and the, the semis won't be set until the day before. Um, so people are going to be trying to figure out what those semi matches are going to be. It will be. I, I did. I was able to confirm that it's A versus B and and C versus D. So that helps people kind of wrap your mind around some stuff. So I, obviously the the chalk pick here is Okada um, to at least get into the semis before either moving on to the finals or taking his big loss. So that I guess is my pick. I haven't done any sort of official picking, but it, it, that makes the most sense to me. Yeah, I think Kazuchika Okada is, you know, the, the smart money, the smart pick here. Just recently was the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion. He's the biggest star in the block. You talk about, you know, drawing and star power. He's he's the biggest star. I think you would definitely want him in that semifinal. If this was any other year and we weren't coming off a pandemic and New Japan wasn't trying to recoup a lot of funds from, you know, the last two years of running – uh, you know, half capacity and clap crowds and all this stuff. I think you have more of a flexibility to go with some other people, but I think you want two of your major stars uh, in the semifinals at least. So I think here to me right now, Okada seems like the most sense. Um, but for a dark horse, I would say like maybe Lance Archer, just because he is an AW guy and you know he was a, a guy that they were kind of pushing before he left. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you guys are saying there. I mean, the way I see it, just generally speaking, um, Tom Lawler and Jonah, they're kind of like 
question marks coming in this tournament, like you mentioned, Chris. And I think that they're going to have great showings for themselves. But generally speaking, unless someone's a huge superstar like a John Moxie or something, most of the time their first foray into a G1, they're going to be eating a lot of pinfalls. So I kind of see them in that sort of position. I also see Yano and Fale obviously as just sort of being like pin eaters and, and uh, you know, spoilers, that sort of thing. So the three guys that really come into question are Okada, Cobb, and Archer. And, you know, for my money, especially with it being in the Budokan, I mean, Okada, three-time winner of this tournament, biggest star in the company, the ace, former IWGP champion. I just couldn't really fathom them not putting him through. I don't even think personally that, I mean, Cobb had an outstanding year last year, but he hasn't felt as hot since the end of the Okada feud last year. They haven't really seemed like they've been pushing him. And, I mean, as much as they might like Lance Archer and have uh, potential plans from down the line, I just I, – I don't see that being something that would set Budokan on, on fire either. So, I, for me, I think the chalk pick is the obvious pick, and I think it would be super wild and maybe even a mistake if they didn't put Okada through. So, it's got to be him. <laughs> So before we move on to the next block, what is the... the... Uh, uh, unless they just want to, like, push uh, fucking filthy all the way, you know, just get him out here and he just starts arm barring and, like, snapping people's limbs and choking people out and just, like, we're going back to Enochism, just put him through. <laughs> and then I can get with that. I mean, Lawler ends with Okada and then Cobb. That's pretty so, sick. But he also... he Yeah, it's awesome. It all, but he also ends on the 14th. So he ends before they get to um, Budokan. Mm. So, and, and that's, I guess that's the other thing to keep an eye on. Obviously, how we've looked at in the past is you look at those two last block nights, you figure out what the most meaningful matches are going to be, and you can kind of see where the tournament's going to go. We don't really have that this year. We have the last night, which has two matches from each block on it, but some of those matches don't feel that weighty, right? I mean, for the A block specifically, you've got, um, what do you got? Okada versus Archer, and then you've got Jonah versus Bad Luck Fale, right? So is Jonah versus Bad Luck Fale going to play into the the winner of the block? You would think, because it's on that last card. Um, there's well, really no when, other reason. to. It's got to affect it somehow, yeah. right? Remember when they did the, uh, the math? on that last B block night a couple of years ago. And it was like, there was no clear, this is the deciding match. And it ended up being like a mathematical elimination that got Ibushi through. I could see them doing something somewhat similar uh, where some of the more weighty matches on the last couple nights might need to be, you know, um, determined by that final night just through pure mathematics. Sure. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that that's, I think we should anticipate that. I think mm -hmm. it's even more likely that someone does kind of a pass through where right. they're not wrestling on that last night, but somebody eliminates somebody else. Archer eliminates Okada and all of a sudden Tom Lawler's going through or yeah. something, right? Like, I don't, I don't know if that's necessarily, you know, a prediction worth making, but it's just an example. Um, it, it is an example, right? Or, or someone like, um, like a Jeff Cobb who also doesn't wrestle on the last night. Right. So it, it, that's, what's so fascinating is that now we have 
four blocks to work with, right? Mm-hmm. So you might get a pass through, you might get a winner take all, you might get a um, this guy needs a draw on the last well, night thing. Well, the reason right? I said this so is there's I, so many ways to go. I saw Tanahashi wasn't on the final night, but he's in one of the bigger matches on one of the two nights prior to that. And I was like, okay, that's a scenario where what you're describing could totally be plausible. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see. Tanahashi wins and then just gets to ride it out and hopes that whoever has a tiebreaker over him loses and he can just skate on into the finals. The other thing, too, is right. like someone. I, Someone has to go through on a loss. I think that that's that when you've got four different things to work with, I think that that's you got to do it right. I think (laughs) it's kind of fun. It's fun in real sports when you're like waiting for someone else to lose instead of watching your team try to win. (laughs) Well, well, the other thing, too, that's cool about it is like because it's not happening all at the same time on the final night, that match, hypothetically, whatever it is, let's say it's the main event of the night before might be really important to that wrestler on that night. And it's like, okay, he won. But now we got to see how it plays out on that final Now we night. wait. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And, it, and it's not so much like, a, okay, well, like he won at third from the top and let's see what happens with evil and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. So before we move on to the next block, what's the one match that you guys are looking forward to here in the A block? Hmm. Well, I mean, I think it's pretty chalk, but it's proved to be so great so many times in the past. It's got to be that first night with Okada and Cobb for me, because even though there's the, the one thing we didn't mention is how many, because Lawler and Jonah's first time in, in the tournament, we had a lot of really great first time matchups all throughout this block. But even with that being the case, like Okada and Cobb, they're the two biggest stars in the, in the block. They, had a incredible rivalry last year for me that's still the most anticipated match yeah i mean that's that that is the match um and i think that the main event of the first night of the g1 is always a great um telltale sign of how the g1 is going to be treated and how you're going to feel about it right so i hope it delivers i hope it's awesome um you know the other thing kind of worth noting is that like Okada and Yano don't wrestle very frequently. So like I like to look at <laughs> matchups that have happened but don't and and guys that have been around a long time but they don't interact very much. So Okada and Yano have only wrestled 3 times ever. So I mean, if nothing else, that's going to be fun, right? When that finally when that happens, hopefully we get kind of irreverent Okada and we have some fun with Yano and and, and you know, so that's that's a Yano match that I'm looking forward to. Um I don't look forward to all the Yano matches, but that's one. That and the Tom Lawler match are probably the two that I have earmarked yeah. <laughs> for, for what's going to be a good time. So, But, yeah, I mean, the that Kabokata, I mean, kicking off the tournament, kicking off the block, um, going back to the last night of last year's G1, which was a really exciting and, and a great match in itself. Um, and I think that's got to be the one that we, that we earmark. My only official prediction of this show, Lawler and Yano will wrestle – to the outside, both go into the kennel, both lock the door, and both get trapped and counted out simultaneously. <laughs> but will they will they both get a point? Is the real question. Yes. I don't know. We, we learned last year. No, we learned we learned last year that a double count out is considered a draw and you and will get one, one point. You get one point, yeah. yeah. That's that's what I thought. Mm-hmm. Okay. I know, uh, but historically, years and years and years and years ago historically a double count out was a no contest mm. and zero points awarded so 
for me, a matchup I'm looking forward to here at A Block is going to be Okada and Tom Lawler. Uh, Lawler's been on an incredible run since he's been a part of New Japan since the very beginning when they started strong. Um, that new beginning USA tournament, just the whole push of Filthy Tom on strong has been so great. And he's had some fun matchups and defenses against you know guys like Rosser and uh, Fredericks and Connors and all the guys over there on New Japan strong. And we've seen him outside New Japan facing like John Moxley and Defy. And so overall, it's been having a really uh, fun year on strong and on the independent. And so I think it's going to be a, a great kind of reward for uh, Philly Tom. And it's a way to kind of test him to see, you know, can he hang with the top dog, the ace um, of New Japan, Kazuchika Okada. Kind of. Uh, just one last thing on that. I think Jonah is also just a guy that I'm going to be paying really close attention to because yeah. I, I know that um, he came in, I don't think, with just the intention of of working strong. I think his intention was to work New Japan in Japan as often as possible. So I'm <laughs> very, very curious to see both the output of in-ring as well as the, the booking and, and see where he lands there, especially during that big stretch that I already kind of uh, that five day stretch that I that I laid out earlier. Yeah, see where he lands with that huge body splash. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, you guys stole the words right from me. Um, the one thing with him too, I was looking for an excursion match to uh, recommend this week, and I noticed that back in May on subsequent nights, him and Cobb had had back to back matches and in independent promotions. I'm like, so they they might have even like worked out the kinks, and that's a that's a big big boy match for this block. So like when that, even though that's not my most anticipated one, that's probably going to be the one that like is eye opening for people. A lot of people are really discounting um, Jonah, Jonah. And they don't realize like how special this guy is. And uh, it's going to be awesome to see what he does in this block. Yeah. And they they mix it up on strong that multi-man TMDK against United empire. And that was a lot of fun. Those few moments they had in that uh, eight man tag on strong. So yeah, I think we're going to have a, a lot of fun with those guys just hammering each other with lariats and trying to slam each other. Well, uh, let's move on to the B block now. So we have the current IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, Switchblade, Jay White, Tamatanga, Tomohiro Ishii, the Great Okan, Sonata, Chase Owens, and Taichi. And I just want to get it out right from the top here. I'm calling it now. I think Switchblade Jay White is going to go undefeated. I think he's going to run through this block and go through to the semifinals. Well, that's an interesting take. And, I mean, I think it's totally plausible. I mean, you know, especially, like, again, when you win a block, you're just going to the semifinals, and you would assume that the champion needs to, you know, go through and go through dominantly. So I think that's plausible. Um, at the same time, now that we have it confirmed that A and B block are going to be facing off, and it's pretty much, in my opinion, assumed that Okada is going through, I kind of see B block through the lens of an Okada opponent, you know? Mm-hmm. And Jay, him and Jay White, they obviously just recently wrestled one another, so I think if that's where you're booking it, you totally could do that. However, I do think that there is maybe the slight off chance possibility that if you wanted to, as a booker, if you wanted to establish a strong title challenger, that's not Okada. You have them win this block now and beat Jay white and then go through and maybe lose to Okada or lose in the finals. And then they have a claimant for later on 
you know, and you don't have to have that repeat, repeat Jay White uh, Okada match, even though I think that's probably what we're getting here. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have a good read on this one. I mean, I think White going through and going undefeated, I mean, let's let's think. Like, Sonata, sure, he can beat Sonata. Chase Owens, of course, right? Great Ocon, they've never wrestled, but I think, you know, if we're tearing people out, that's, I think Jay's a, a level above. Taichi, mm-hmm. same, right? Um, and then you've got, I think, the two biggest threats to Jay White going undefeated are Ishii because White and Ishii have this long-standing thing where White can he has his number. He Ishii's got his number, right? And then mm-hmm. you've got Tamatanga, who he wants to um, get in there. On... <laughs> 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 he... <laughs> They're also wrestling on the last night, right? So that's a that's a spoiler in a, in, a, in a way too. It could be right. So and Tamatanga. You know, you can harken back to him setting the precedent of defeating the IWGP champion mm. last year. Well, no, last year Okada was not the champion. That's true. Yeah, but, Shing- I mean, Shingo was still champion. Shingo was champ. Yeah, yeah. So, but everyone seems to have, have forgotten that, including New Japan. <laughs> but it's a lot of Shingo championship erasure. Yes. <laughs> um. Yeah. So. Tamatonga, there's a lot at stake there, right? And we we know the Bullet Club stuff is going to permeate this tournament, and we didn't really get a chance to talk about an A block because A block's the only, um, I think it's the only block with just one Bullet Club member mm. in in Fale. So the other ones, I think you'll see some Bullet Club um, activity, right? And and Tamatonga kind of ties back to that, right? Because he's one of the beginning one of the one of the founders of Bullet Club and then, you know, Jay White somehow, some way from afar, you know, found a way to kick him out. So, um, and that's still fresh in, in everyone's mind. So I think the the chalk pick is to to push Jay through to the semis and then that whoever beats him in the semis is either gonna obviously win the the tournament or they're gonna set up um being kind of that either that in-between defense or uh, the third party in, in maybe a two-night Wrestle Kingdom, if that's the, the route we're going. Yeah, I think that whoever Jay faces in the semi, I think that's going to end up being the, the fall defense and that probably the, that burning spirit tour that's going to be happening in September or whatever they end up doing in, in October. Maybe they do bring back King of Pro Wrestling because um, that way you want a fresh matchup for at least one of the nights of the Dome that hasn't happened this year. So I think you you get that fall defense from the, the A block person he'll face in the semifinals, and then the winner of C and D will face him on one of the nights in the Dome. Well, one thing, too, to kind of consider is if Jay White goes to the semifinal and then loses to, like, let's say Okada, right? Um, it's highly unlikely that Okada, and, and, and let's say he's undefeated like you, uh, mentioned Jeremy, it's highly unlikely Okada is going to beat whoever wins the C and D block at that point because they wouldn't be getting another title defense in the fall because that match would probably be occurring, like let's say at, in January. And we still don't even know what January is going to. That's another hard part with all this. We don't even know what January is going to look like. Are they going to do another double gold, triple gold, quadruple gold dash? Like we don't know. <laughs> 
what's even happening. We're out of gold, that. guys. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, mean, this is probably a good chance to bring up, like, think about it. The Never Openweight Champion's not even in this tournament. Mm-hmm. The, um, Fuck the U.S. title is hanging out with, the belt is with Juice Robinson, but Will Ospreay's the champion, right? The tag titles aren't in this tournament. So, because they're, they're with FTR. So like, right. there's not a lot of belts happening, mm. <laughs> right? So we do have uh, the provisional pro- KOPW 2022 <laughs> championship. <laughs> That's funny. And oh. the never open weight six man, two thirds of the never open weight six man championships. Yeah. That's, those are the only champions in this tournament. I guess, I mean, you can count Will and, and Rev Pro too, but he's the same guy. So it's 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 a strange layout when it comes to like um, building towards title defenses because I'm Carl, Carl. Where's Carl Anderson? Like he ain't coming in for the G1, right? Like and um, you know, you, you would think he would be able to though. It's not like he's absolutely. Got, he doesn't have AEW like obligations and like national TV. He does monthly tapings. Like why isn't this guy in the fucking tournament? <laughs> He's like, nah, not for me, brother. I, I, I'm, I'm good. I'll, I'll, I'll win the belt, Dominion. I'll rest for the summer. I'll, I'll be back in the fall. Now, here's I the mean, thing. good work if you can get it. Here's the thing. I'll say this. Either Okada and Jay White are both going through or one or the other is going through. But we're not getting a scenario where neither of them go through, you know? Mm-hmm. So... From there, that might help you out with your picks if you're still on the on the you know undecisive you know chopping block or whatever. Either Jay White is gonna go through and face a potential challenger in the semifinals, or Okada, if he's not facing Jay White, he's gonna be facing one of these guys. And and I think that's the more likely scenario. And kind of looking through it, I'm like, damn, I don't know which of these matches actually seem plausible or likely. The one kind of dark horse pick, and I know people probably don't want to hear it, but he just seems to do inexplicably well when it comes to the G1, especially in terms of Okada, is Sonata. Mm. I could easily see Sonata, and I'm not saying that this is my pick or it's my prediction, but I'm saying if I if I didn't want Jay to go through, just historically speaking in tournaments, Sonata seems to be a guy that they like to have go through and lose to Okada. <laughs> so and maybe even beat Okada. So, right, take that for what it's worth. And He's I, been a finalist before. Uh, yeah, I think we all forget that he was a finalist in 2020. That seems to be kind of swept under the rug. So yeah, you could get Sonata, Sonata pushed into a finals there, and it would totally uh, make sense. I mean, a guy that if you weren't going to go with Jay, I would love to see Great Ocon. Um, I feel like it's now's his time. They there's been so many times where they had the opportunity to push him and really do something cool with him, and they've kind of passed it by. And I think he's one of these young guys, you know, we hear, you know, the New Japan press conference, they, they want to push young guys, they want younger stars, they want mm-hmm. fresh matchups. Well, here you have a guy in Great Ocon, a fresh star. He's getting over in the U.S., in Japan. Uh, the fans love him for his online activity, for him saving people in real life. There's, there's, a, there's a lot going for Great Ocon. He's a very good wrestler. Um, so he's a guy that... If I'm looking at this and I, I don't want to go with Jay, he's a guy I'm looking at to push in and try and elevate him. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I, def- I, I know that the office knows they have something in Ocon too. They they love everything that he does. Um, so if they're gonna make a star out of one of these blocks, he's he's definitely an option. 
mm-hmm. um, you know, I, as I look down further, further down the block, like you're not making a star out of C block. And we're, we're going to talk to you about that in a second. Like it's, it's pretty stacked. Um, and there's not really a Nari. candidate for it in D block. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, you've got kind of the same tier of guys in, in D block. So if, if we're looking at one star making performance to keep an eye on, it's probably great O'Conn and, and, and see if he can a improve off of last year's tournament and B um, see kind of if he, if he's worth putting into a semi, right. I mean, semifinal, what's the big deal, right? Like that's kind of, right. that's kind of the way I look at it. It's like, if you're, you can make a guy by building him up. The other thing about O'Conn, he's got the shortest tournament, right? His whole tournament is the same length as Tom Lawler's. It starts on day six and ends on day 17. So it's 19 days. So here's a guy that could legitimately have some momentum, right? He's, he's got either three or two days off the entire time that he's wrestling because his whole first 10 days are, are just undercard stuff. So that's kind of an interesting thing to keep an eye on too, is that like, he's got this really balanced schedule. You're going to see a lot of him as the tail end of the tournament comes up. So he may have been, favorably booked here to actually gain some momentum. Um, and maybe he gets the pass through. Um, if something happens, if Tama Tonga say beats Jay White on the last night and great O'Conn gets the, gets the pass through. I think if I'm, if I'm putting a bet on that scenario happening at all, someone who doesn't wrestle on the last night going through to the semis, I think it's great O'Conn. Well, you know, I had picked great O'Conn to be a finalist in this past year's new Japan cup. It ended up not, working out quite that way but you know the the talk has been for a long time that they see big star potential in this guy and like you mentioned jeremy with the recent um press conference they did talking about pushing new stars you know it's only a matter of time before they pull the trigger on him the the question at this point is when is that going to be are they going to be a little more conservative the way that they tend to be in the past with some guys and kind of move them up incrementally, or is it going to all happen in one fell swoop with a big G1 tournament like this, kind of like what they did with Kenny at some point? And, um, you know, that's where you're kind of playing Nostradamus. Like, is that how you see it? The thing, though, keep in mind, is whoever wins this block, like because they're in the same block as Jay White, they not only have to be strong enough to headline Budokin in a semifinal role, but also probably wrestle Jay White again in a major main event scenario later on. And for my money, outside of Tamatonga, there's no one else that has the storyline and character compelling enough right now. Maybe things could change through the course of the tournament to actually do that. Yeah, I mean, uh, Ishii's always good for a fall tile defense if they, if they wanted to go that route. Um, Tam- yeah, they must make the tournament, apparently. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Tamatonga, I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing what he's going to do. Last year, he had a really fun G1 turning baby face and having these fun, high, uh, energetic matchups. So I think he's going to be a fun guy to watch, and especially when they crescendo to that Jay White match because the whole Bullet Club split and riff has been surrounded about uh, around Jay kicking out Tam and his brother Tangaloa. So he's going to be an interesting guy to to watch as well in this block. Um, last two guys that we haven't really, well, actually there's like three guys we haven't really touched too much on, but they're all worth, you know, kind of discussing. I mean, 
for my money, I don't think Ishii has any hope of winning the block. If he did, it would be like the greatest underdog story of all time. <laughs> I, I personally can't think of a greater A versus B block semifinal match on paper than Ishii versus Okada, just based off their history. That's, you know, it. if it was me booking, that's what would happen, just based on the fact that that'd be the best match we could possibly make. But it's it's just not likely. At the same time, I think Ishii's going to play a pivotal role in this block like he usually does and probably be the standout guy. But then Chase Owens and Tai Chi both have something to prove in this tournament. I mean, Tai Chi's been here, you know, four times in the past. Chase Owens has been here twice, but they're both kind of in higher statuses than they had been in the past. And they've both been putting in better performances. I don't think either of them have a chance at winning the block, but, um, you know, basically the quality of their matches are probably going to be pretty high. They're probably going to be looking to elevate themselves through the course of this tournament. It, tai Chi went three and six last year. So you got to figure he's due to have a better tournament in, in regards to getting some wins, um, maybe over guys in the same tier. Right. But yeah, he, he had, yeah, three and six would be probably two and four. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Which is a tough pill to swallow, honestly, for Tai Chi. Like, you figure he's a higher tier than that. Um, and I, But I was surprised by the three and six last year. Mm-hmm. So just to get, you know, is, is Tai Chi just completely... Um, focused on the on the tag stuff now. Like, is he is he not going to get another singles run? I don't know, right? Like, so and and I don't know that now is the time to try to pull that trigger either. Yeah, it seems, um, it seems so, like they we'll, we'll see. Yeah, it seems like they've kind of put him on the back burner because all he he's been doing a lot of the KOPW stuff with Shingo with the multiple pinfall matches, and he's either kind of been yeah in that KOPW realm or dangerous checker realm, and so it seems like they're not really looking to push him, but, I mean, he's a guy that can have great matches. I think people, when they think about Tai Chi, they think about, you know, old heel Tai Chi. He would goof off and had a lot more shenanigans in his match. We, we've seen a more serious, harder-hitting Tai Chi in the last couple of years, and if we get that, I think we're going to have a lot of great matches, and also he could be a guy that could potentially um, be higher than we think he's going to be. Um, One last thing. You know, and I guess maybe we shouldn't discount him too much. Tamatonga, you know, um, he ever since last year's G1, he was one of the, the standout guys. And, you know, just recently went on his first, although it wasn't super successful, he went on his first singles title run. And with the in-story of Bull Club and his betrayal and everything like that, him and Jay White wrestling one another on the final night, I think some people are looking at that and thinking, Maybe he'll play spoiler. But then again, him and Okada have history coming out of last year's G1. What if he beats Jay White and he's the semifinalist and he wrestles Okada? I mean, I don't know if I think that that is a big enough marquee match to really draw. But if he has the kind of performances that he had last year and gets over, I mean, he's a bigger star now than he was last year. So maybe, maybe that is possible. It's the classic upward failure, too. He lost the Never title, but then he goes to the G1 semis, right? Like, mm. that's... I don't think that's out of the question at all. And then that is something that has... Even though maybe he does... At this point today, 
isn't perceived as someone that has enough star power to to credibly face Jay White in a major match for the title later on in the year. But if he beats him and then beats Okada and loses in the finals, and then you know, and then there's that whole bull club feud and storyline going on, who knows? Maybe that is possible. Yeah, and like we mentioned, we don't know what the January schedule is going to look like, but I'm going to assume we're going to get at least two Tokyo Dome shows, and I'd also assume that you would have some kind of Bullet Club, you know, storyline as, as part as one of the draws to the Dome. So I think elevating Tamatanga would be a, a smart thing to do, even if he doesn't win this block, having have, get some big wins so that that way that Bullet Club match can be a big thing at the dome, but yeah, if, if they really want to solidify him and elevate him up the card as a main event guy, then yeah, beating Jay White and then facing Okada in the semifinals would be a huge thing. And like you mentioned, Josh, it can play off of the match from last year where Tamatanga got the upset and beat Okada clean. So, uh, what matchup is the the one B block matchup that you guys are looking forward to? You know, um, just for the pure, I mean, for the storyline. It's and the importance that it seems to possess, it's got to be Jay White and uh, Tamatonga. But for in ring quality, like the, the match that I'm like, oh shit, I can't wait to see this, it's Tai Chi versus Ishii. That's the, the banger match of, of the block, easily. Um, I always look forward to Ishii Jay White because I think that it's, it's really interesting when you've got someone at Jay White's level that, um, has a tough time getting past, you know, one particular wrestler. So I think that that'll be awesome. And then great Okan Jay White is wildly intriguing to me because I, I, I'm an Okan guy and, and I want to see him elevated. Okan has wrestled, let's see, four of the other guys that he has to wrestle in this tournament. And he's Owen six. So he doesn't have a single win over anyone historically, anyone else in, in this block. He has not wrestled Tamatanga or Jay White. So Okan and Jay White would be a, a telling match to me. So that, those are the, the two that I'm looking forward to the most. For me, I'm really looking forward to great Okan versus Tomoyori Ishii. Um, I just think, you know, two bruisers, two hard-hitting guys. I think um, Ishii can really help. Uh, Ocon have a kind of a memorable G1 uh, match here, and it'll be something is a good thing to have on Ocon's, Ocon's resume, especially for the Ocon haters out there. So uh, let's move on to the C block now. So we Ooh, have, before before we do that, does it sound like we are pretty much uniformly in agreement that it's likely going to be Okada J White in the semifinals, or has some of this discussion changed your guys' opinions? I do not think it'll be Okada J White in the semis, mm. but I don't, I, I cannot say more than that. Like, I don't know where else right. it's going to go. I think one of them, one of them is going to get bounced before you get to the semis. I mean, if I had, if I had to put money on it, I, I would say, yeah, it's going to be Okada J White. That just seems to make the most sense for me. But like we mentioned at the top of the show, this is a very unpredictable tournament, unpredictable format. Um, and so, they can go obviously a various different direction. So they could easily do Okada versus Ocon or they do uh, Jay White versus, uh, I don't know, Tom Lawler or Jeff Cobb or somebody like that. Who knows? Uh, but for the smart money, I'm going, I'll stick with Okada and Jay White. If, 
I think because some of the the talks about Okada maybe taking a break after this and his upcoming childbirth, some of that has me a little concerned. But then again, the implications of what would happen if they do face in the semis as it pertains to a fall title defense and then the January 4th, it makes me feel like Okada is going through probably and gonna he'll probably go to the finals. And if one of these two gets bumped, it's more likely in my opinion, Jay White. I think it's likely that Jay White either loses to Tamatonga and Sonata goes through or Tamatonga goes through. I think those are the, your two dark horse guys to kind of look out for to maybe potentially wrestle Okada. All right, so let's move on to the C block now. We have the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi. Hiroki Goto won third of the Never Open with six-man tag team champs. We have Tetsuya Naito, Evil, Kenta, Aaron Hanare, and Zack Sabre Jr. Hmm. Pretty here's stat. A, here's, a C, here's a C block stat. So, it, number of G1 matches. So, historically, these guys have wrestled in, you know, a number of, of G1 matches. The C block totals 515. The next closest to that is the A block at 350. Mm. And then the uh, next closest to that is the, the B block at 244 and then the, the D block uh, coming in with, with 194 G1 matches under their belt. So 515, that's an incredible amount of G1 matches. Three guys in this block, so Tanahashi, Goto, and Naito, have yeah. all wrestled in over 100 G1 Climax matches in their career already. That's so, was, yeah, was, you know, when, like those are your guys. Yeah, and that, but then you've got Evil at 54 and Zach with 45, too. I mean, like, those are 54 and 45 would be mm-hmm. top three of, of a couple of the other blocks. So you've got G1 experience here in, in the C block. And I think, like, this is, the, this is the block that's going to provide the most kind of level G1, you know, these are these are G1 level matches that you expect night in and night out. One of those, you're going to have that one C-block match on, on every night, and that's going to be the block that I think you brings a ton of stability to all these cards. Well, I think the first thing that stands out to me is like, okay, you got Tanahashi, you know, and even though he might be a little bit older and broken down, we've seen how the companies relied on him through this past year and kind of put him in prominent positions. Naito's kind of a guy that's been on the back burner, but is maybe potentially due and has been favored in the past for several G1s. Uh, and then you have Evil, former champion, who's always kind of waiting in the rings. And then Zack Sabre and Kenta are two guys who haven't held the title, haven't won a G1, but are definitely plausible, you know, spoilers and killers and can easily win a block. The only two guys here that I see that I'm just like, hell no, they can't win the block no matter what happens. It's Goto and first-time entrant uh, Aaron Hanare. So this, for me, is like, I mean, I know a lot of people are going to be like, oh, I know Naito's winning, or I know Evil's winning, or I know Tanahashi's winning, but I don't think it's as open and shut. I think this is actually the hardest to call block just because there's so many plausible options for who you might want to have go through. Yeah, like there's so many guys that they can go with here. The CB block has eight main events throughout the tour. Uh, next closest is actually the D block with four. Mm. And then the A and A has two and, and B has three. So 
I mean, that tells you something. You've got Tanahashi in five main events. Five of his six matches are main events. So, like, that's the other cool thing about um, the scheduling the way it is, is that um, it Tanahashi wouldn't have five main events if they were just having C-block nights, right? They would they would spread that out differently. So, you've got Tanahashi with five and Naito with four. Um, and those are the, the top two main eventers of, of this tour. So nobody else has more than two, um, which, you know, quite a few guys have. So, yeah, I mean, C block is, your, is that's your main event block because like all these matchups, while they've happened a bunch of times before, this is your, like I said, like this is your core group. I think when it really comes down to it, these are the known entities and you know what you're going to get with this block. And with that said, you also then don't know what you're going to get on the side of the results. So I, I will get there and I'll, we'll, I'll, do some thinking while you guys talk, but I have no idea who's coming out of this block. Yeah, like, yeah, I don't either. Like you mentioned, Josh, there's, there's so many different options you go. I mean, Tanahashi won the tournament in 07, 2015, 2018. He's been a finalist in 04, 2010, and 2013. He's the ace. I mean, he's so reliable. Yes, he is. You know, he's a little bit older. No, doesn't move quite as fast, but on the big stage, Tanahashi's going to deliver, and he's going to perform, and he's going to shine. That's why he has five of the main events. So you could always go on reliable on the ace. Naito, like you mentioned, a guy who uh, fans still love. People are clamoring for him to get another G1 to have like a lengthy IWGP World Heavyweight title run. Evil, he's no longer one-third of the never six-man champions. That frees him up to be back in a you know championship role. I, I don't I don't want to see that, but it's highly plausible if they want to get him back on track that he could win this block. Um Zach Sabre Jr., he picked up a lot of momentum last year in the G one and his feud with Shingo Takagi, uh the win there and then the the fall tile defense he had against Shingo were two of the best matches of the whole year in twenty twenty one. Um so Sabre's a guy if they really wanna you know I've been saying that Sabre has been um putting in that that kind of top foreigner spot, kind of that, that hole that was left by Kenny Omega, Sabre has been kind of slowly sliding into that spot. So if they really want to keep, you know, hit the gas there, you, you can go with Sabre as well, and you get another Sabre, um, you know, potentially you can do a Sabre Okada as an overall finals. Uh, that's always a great matchup. I can make a slowly slide joke, but I'm not going to. Uh, <laughs> um. You know, one of the other interesting things, too, is, like, not just the fact that all these guys have so much G1 experience, but because all of them are long-tenored, um, you know, New Japan wrestlers, a lot of them have so much history and, and, and stories amongst themselves within this block. So, you know, there's a lot to kind of sink your teeth into, whether it's, you know, the Tanahashi Naito stuff or the Evil Naito stuff or... Zach and, and Naito, you know, Kenta, Tanahashi. There's just a kind of a lot of interwoven history really kind of embedded into this uh, this block here. Um, the other thing, too, is eight, the C&D block, like, okay, traditionally when you're looking at a, a G1, whichever block had one of two things in it, oftentimes they were the same thing, whether it was Okada, and or the IWGP title that kind of told you a few different things about the way uh, Gato might book potentially. And like I mentioned, oftentimes Okada was the champion. So those were one and the same. 
So, but with this, the C and the D block, they don't have a champion and they don't have Okada. So that opens up the possibilities a lot more for what could happen in these blocks as opposed to, you know, we kind of talked about it, how everything with Jay and everything with Okada is very like, you know, you can kind of see the bare bone structures there, but here it's like, take your pick, you know, and it, it really depends on what, how you kind of want to book out your G1, who you think is coming out of the D block to fight one of these gentlemen. I mean, I think the the chalk pick is probably Naito. He's still probably the biggest star and the guy that you'd want to see pushed coming out of the block, unless you're, you know, there are Naito haters, haters out there. <laughs> but um, he's a guy that feels like he might be due, but Gato likes to book tragedies and, I'm not saying they should do this, but who knows? Like, what if evil wins? I don't know. Then we all cry. Um, <laughs> among the C block uh, in head-to-head matches, there have been 113 uh, matches between these six wrestlers already. So, and that is, is that significantly higher. Like in all of history or just in the G1? In all history, yeah. All, all head-to-head. So, not, not necessarily just the G1. Um, but what is it? D block has 32, uh, B block has 38, and A block has 43 uh, head-to-head matchups that kind of historically have happened between their competitors. So, like, these are guys every night that are going to be familiar with each other, which I think is, is cool. And, again, tons to draw from in regards to um, stories and his- history between all these guys. And, and I'll kind of jump to my most anticipated match and it's it's Zach versus Naito on the last night of the block and I, I don't know it, it it almost doesn't matter if that's a block decider right I think it I think it's got a really good chance of being that but also like those guys going back to the beginning of last I mean Zach ended Naito's G1 last year mm-hmm. and it's gonna get we're gonna take until the end of this year's tournament to get back to that match and a it's always a great match yep and b it has so much more weight to it now. And then you put it on the last night of block action. There's a good chance that that's a winner take all match and it could go either way. The other thing too, is like, for me, you know, we'll get to it, but looking at D block, there's only two strong possibilities with one, maybe outside chance. Uh, like I think the, the two strong likely winners are either Osprey and Shingo. And I think you could make a, a very narrow outside argument if you wanted to be like, you know, creative and maybe have ELP go through, but I don't think that's likely. So I think that's also another thing that kind of helps you here is like of these guys, especially like you mentioned, you said Naito and uh, Zach are wrestling on the final night. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, I mean, who of this block do you see going to the semifinals against either Osprey or, Shingo, because that's probably the the most likely scenario. One thing we've been talking about on this podcast for a long time, of all the major protected matches that haven't happened between major stars in New Japan, Naito and Osprey is one of those matches that's just never happened up to this point, and it, it's highly possible that that could play out here. Yeah, I think Naito is definitely going to be the, the strong favorite. Um, and like you, Chris, I'm looking forward to that, that Naito Saber match. I definitely have that circled as a potential, you know, blocked or cider just because they're 
big stars, and there's just so much history and story, especially after last year's G1, going into that on that kind of big stage. I think it would totally make sense for that to be the ultimate uh, C-block decider. The other big matchup that I'm looking forward to is Naito and Tanahashi. Um, those guys, they just have amazing chemistry, even at this point in their careers. I remember, I think it was the 2020 G1 where they were the opening night. That match was just absolutely incredible. It's a great way to kick off the tournament. So I think those guys are going to have a banger. They didn't in the New Japan Cup this past year, though. Never mind that. <laughs> Did you know that that his 2010 draw with Tanahashi is Naito's only singles draw, like, on record? Really? <laughs> yeah. Hmm. I don't even remember I know that. because I have the records. Um, <laughs> I but I didn't realize that until I was I was looking at draws for some reason today. I was looking something up and and I just caught that that's Naito's only draw, not just in G ones, but then I went and looked at the rest of it, and that's his only singles draw on record, and it, it was 2010 G one. So I I don't foresee that coming into play. Um, with this year's G1, but I thought that that was uh, a really interesting piece to piece to the puzzle. So, um, I mean, I, I, I the other l- match on the last night is Evil versus Goto, and that kind of ties into Chaos and House of Torture still kind of interacting a lot, right? So a lot of times those last block nights will start to give you an indication of where things are going going forward for the wrestlers who may not be going through. Um, and if I had to bet, that's that's a match that has more implications towards something else as opposed to having implications towards going into the final. I think the Naito-Zach match is going to end up winner-take-all. Unless, like, if you're, you know, we've seen Gato do this a lot, unless you have Evil in a strong position going to the final night and Goto has to be his spoiler, which sure, could, yeah, could easily be it. Which would then set up a probably yeah, and, a rematch for the Never Six Man titles. Except Goto has it. So he, if Goto's the Goto's spoiler, that's champion. probably not going to set up a six man. Yeah, well, well Evil will be, will be mad and want to take something from Goto. Like you, you took away my sure. my G one sure. semifinal spot, so now I'm going to get those titles back from you, kind of thing. I mean, here's the real. Uh, the real kicker that we haven't even explored is, I mean, we have eight Bullet Club members in this tournament. Are we just doing a, a Bullet Club semifinals? It's going to be four dudes in Bullet Club and different different sects of Bullet Club all going into the semis? If they had strong enough members, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> be, I think uh, Kenta versus Evil is a really interesting match, though, too. Yeah. One to, well, to kind of put your eyes on. We've seen that a few times now. Right. Right, but I, I think we're actually ramping up towards this Bullet Club Civil War situation now. And uh, so Kenta versus Evil is, is the 26th. Um, I think it's actually Evil's first match. Here, yeah, Evil's much, a late starter too. Here's how much I didn't even remember that they're both in the same group. I was going to say Kenta's the only Bullet Club member in this block. Because <laughs> I forgot Evil's... I think, that's, I, I think that's where we're headed with House yeah. of Torture, but we haven't gone there yet and and they do operate mostly separately um but yeah so but evil's first match is kenta so i guess that could kick us off 
in a way um, to to set something up for the Bullet Club stuff. Also, Hanari is going to try his best. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna go out there. He's gonna he's gonna really just try his best the whole time. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe there's a there's a lot of guys here that he not even just in G1, just in general, has never been able to work singles with at all. So for all the people that are like, what are we doing with, you know, Hanare all these years? This might be the chance for us to really see if he has the goods at this point and can make a mark and can stand out and can get over because this is where the rubber meets the road. Like, if you can't do that against Goto, Tanahashi, Kenta, and Zack Sabre Jr., I don't know what to tell you at that point. The only person in this block that Hanari has wrestled one on one is Goto, and that's only been once. Mm. So, like these are this is wildly fresh matchups for for Hanari. So, th- yeah, this is this could be a big coming out for him. I would love that. Yeah, so now, this is make or break for the the based uh, Aaron Hanare here, and yeah, he's he's really got to go out here and you know take full advantage of this thing. You know, Hanare is a guy that. We've, you know, been behind during his early young line days and that kind of early feud he had with Ishii, but he kind of got stuck in that rut of not having a real excursion and kind of being stuck in the undercard of Huntai now, doing something, you know, cool and new now with the United Empire. So I think now the time for him, he's probably not going to win a ton of matches, but he really needs to go out there and have a lot of really good matches. And he has like incorporated a lot of, you know, the Muay Thai stuff, and he's been looking good on uh, New Japan Strong and some of these uh, New Japan undercards with the Empire. So I'm hoping that he does kind of break out and have, has a good tournament. I think the Tanahashi match is really interesting too because they had that. They did a, a whole tag league together, I think, right? Yeah. Tanahashi and yeah, so, Hanare. Oh, Hanare. Yeah, a long time ago, yeah. That was, was that a long time ago? Everything feels like a long time ago, <laughs> pre-pandemic. Um, so that's an interesting match to me um, just because I remember all those interactions and hoping that that was going to be the elevation of Hanari at that point. And it, it wasn't. Um, so, but yeah, this is Hanari's first major like run of singles matches. He has very little singles experience under his belt, um, you know, on, on record with new Japan. So um, this will be his first real, real pass at it. Um, I will say this. I don't expect Tanahashi, even though, you know, we kind of made the arguments for why he could go through. I just feel like at this stage of his career, he's probably not going to be the guy that wins this block. And I think that kind of narrows some of this down a little bit more. Um, With Naito and Zach both being likely contenders and them facing off on the final night, you know, I know for a lot of people, they're probably thinking Naito goes through and that is probably the chalk likelihood. But, you know, with Osprey and Shingo being on the other side of that door, and it's Zack Sabre Jr., that is very possible. He's got a lot of history with them. He, like, in the early first quarter of this year, was looking like the best wrestler in the world, especially in that New Japan Cup. Um, I'm not predicting that. That's not my call. But, I mean, that would be pretty awesome, either getting Will and Zack again or Shingo and Zack in a semifinal situation, like, all both of those matches have been some of the best matches this year, and I I would love if they were able to run that back. Yeah, that'd be great. Josh, do you say your uh, most anticipated match for this block? Yep. Oh, sorry. So yeah, I would say, um, yeah, it's got to be Naito and Zach. Um, 
just looking at the everybody that's here, I mean, that's going to be the one with the most importance. Those are the guys, they always tear it up every single time they're in the ring together. Um, so, yeah, pretty pretty easy answer there. It's got to be Naito and Zack Sabre Jr. Nice. Uh, any final C block thoughts before we move on to the D block? I, I think Naito's going through probably, most likely. Yeah. Yeah, you think this is the big, the big Naito rebuild? moment after he's had some kind of some stuff get in his way uh it's hard to bet against that um especially when like you, then you look over yeah yeah i mean if it's not now i don't know when right um if you want to keep him in that really true upper echelon and and make things interesting you know naito's naito's a guy and naito and jay is an interesting um pairing they had a really good run in 2019 for the intercontinental um so yeah i I think naito's naito's the guy to keep keep your eyes on i don't think they're gonna bury him if they don't put him through but um once you look over to to d block and you look at the guys who might go through you know naito ends up making even more sense i think yeah so let's talk about the d block we have one last thing my my view with that too is you only have Naito not go through, in my opinion, if there's someone in this block that you plan to go all the way with. Because I don't think that they're, aside from, I mean, I think Zach is also another plausible guy to go against Will and Shingo, but I don't see him beating them and then going to the final and then losing. I just, I don't think that math makes sense to me, and I don't see anybody else here in this block that can win the whole tournament at all or be a strong enough opponent for one of those two former champions. So like, even though there are credible names looking at the other side of the door, I think with it being Will and Shingo on the other side, it just makes the most sense. It's gotta be Naito most likely. Yeah. So let's look at D block here. So we got Will Ospreay, the current IWGP U.S. champion Yoshihashi, one-third of the Never Openweight Six-Man Tag Champions. Shingo Takagi, the current KLPW 2022 Provisional Champion. David Finley, Rock Hard, Juice Robinson, El Fantasmo, and the Tokyo Pimp, Yujiro Takahashi. This is my opinion um, of all the blocks, just from a straight, pure work rate standpoint. This is, in my opinion, the work rate group. Even though I don't see as many big names as some of the other uh, groups, I just see more great matches potentially coming out of this group than any other block, period. I think this is, yeah. I mean, I, I the person I'm most excited to see throughout this G1 is probably El Fantasmo. Yes. Mm. Um, I, I, I know that his tournament's really going to, live and die on his first and last matches. So those are the matches with Will and then Shingo. But I'm I'm so curious to see how he plays heavyweight, how um how he elevates himself to the the bigger stage of the G one as opposed to say Super Juniors or the even the IWGP junior heavyweight championship or Super J Cup, right? We've seen El Fantasmo get a lot of different opportunities with this company. And this is another one to elevate to heavy and, um, and see what he can do. But I think, again, I do think that his tournament's truly going to land 
Uh, it's going to live or die with that first and last match, but everything in the middle is going to be important too. So I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm super curious to see where that goes. I mean, we've got three Bullet Club members in this block, so that creates some shenanigans, I'm sure, and, and I'm curious to see how that plays out too. You've got Juice, El Phantasmo, and Yujiro. So um, that does kind of probably draw the work rate down a little bit, but... Um, but ultimately, yeah, this is this is a good looking block. I, Finlay's a, a ringer too to have a bunch of great matches. First G one, right? Anytime you're in your first G one, you've got a pretty good chance to to make a name for yourself. Yeah, Finlay is definitely in that Hanare spot where they really have to go out here and make have a great tournament. You know, Finlay did pick up a lot of momentum uh, in 2020 in that New Japan Cup where he had the big upset um, over Jay White, and they were kind of building that program. But, of course, all that cooled off with the Gaijin unrest and them not being able to follow up on that until resurgence in August in L.A., in California, where we were in Jay White country and people did not care about a Bay face David Finley. Um, and, and since then, he's kind of been doing the tag stuff with, with Juice and Impact and stuff like that. Um, obviously, now with Juice being healed and in Bull Club, he's a chance for David Finley to shine as, as a singles he has this big opportunity here, and so he needs to go out there and kind of recapture some of that magic he had in 2020 and do that over again here in this tournament. Um, like you mentioned, Josh, with this being um, a tournament that's going to have a lot of great uh, matchups with this block, um, you know, you, you got Osprey and Chingo, two of the best wrestlers in the world, got guys who they can, they're probably going to give each guy their best matches in this block. It's, it's going to be the Osprey-Chingo four-star and up challenge, like, Every guy that wrestles Osprey and Chingo are more than likely going to have at minimum a four-star match. Um, these guys are going to elevate guys and have um, a lot of really great matches with everybody in this block, including guys like uh, Yujiro Takahashi. Um, Juice Robinson, you know, he has a, a little new lease on life here with the, the new rock hard gimmick and being a heel and being in Bullet Club. We've seen the past G1s, he's kind of struggled um, you know, he's he's had good matches, but as far as kayfabe-wise, he's always had a lot of losses. And so with him kind of being more pushed, it seems he could be a guy that could pick up some more wins than he did in the past. Yeah, I think with Juice, it's going to be very interesting because since he turned heel, we haven't seen him in a singles match. We only saw him in that four-way. And so we don't really actually know what his what his ring work is going to look like as a heel at all just yet. Uh, it, it still sort of felt like he was fleshing things out just a little bit back in Chicago. And so this is going to be our first like real kind of pre, you know, we'll get to see exactly what it is he's going to be doing with this iteration of his career. Um, with ELP, it's kind of, you know, there, there's a part of me that like when you guys were talking about it, I started getting really excited. And like the first thing I thought was like, well, you know, remember when Kenny Omega like went heavyweight and then he came to the G1 and like he dazzled and he won the shit like all that. But then I like thought about it for a second. I was like, but then again, Kenny like had an intercontinental title run and like had turned heavyweight, you know, a long time before that there was a lot of establishment there and there's not been as much or any at all for ELP. The closest thing that ELP might have in the interim between those two things was probably that 2019 G1 win, Osprey was the IWGP champion, and he had his run. And in in that one, he lost quite. He lost more than he won, but he had great matches, and then defeated Tanahashi on the final night. 
So I wouldn't be surprised if ELP has something more similar in style to what they gave to Osprey back then than they do with uh, with Kenny. But I with with Finley, I think he's a little different than um, what you had mentioned with Inari, where it's like, yes, he does need to show us something, and yeah, he has stagnated. But the difference there is we've seen him in singles roles, and we know he has the goods. It's just a matter of putting everything together and getting over at this point. And so that's that's the thing is, like, I'm not really too worried about whether or not he's going to deliver in ring, you know, at this point. Mm-hmm. But the big the big talking point, it's going to be the two-man race between Osprey and Shingo the whole time. Um, I'm assuming they're wrestling each other. They're not wrestling on the final night, or are they? No, they wrestle on the on August 6th. The twelve, the night twelve of the of the tour. That seems weird. So kind of in the middle. Hmm. Yeah. I don't, I don't, the I don't. final night. This and and so we'll see if you pick up kind of where I think this is headed. The final night is Will Osprey versus Juice Robinson, mm. and it is ELP versus Shingo. Very interesting. So, so yeah, it makes me think that. Osprey and Chingo are going to be tied at the top, and then whoever or, or, or something close to that, yeah, and whoever wins is going to win the block. Also, I think we're kind of a lot of people are just ignoring that Will Osprey has the U.S. championship, right? And that Juice Robinson's doing this whole hold the belt hostage thing, and I think that that last match. Um, of of this block be being Juice and Osprey, I think that is more likely to just lead towards what they're both going to do from here on out for a little bit, which is, you know, get mixed up with the U S championship. Right. Or the other os- option is Osprey just absolutely demolishes juice and finally takes his belt, kicks him out of the ring and says like, all right, fine. Thanks. Like instead of having to work towards another match. Right. Yeah. yeah those are both right. definitely things that could happen. I mean, my, gut instinct from the get-go i didn't know when they were wrestling but i just assumed since they're in the same block juice was probably going to beat osprey so we had that that claim but since it's the final night there's so many stakes that one's difficult because initially i was like well osprey's this big star he's been trying to get back to the january 4th you know yada yada and everything like that so he should be the guy that goes through but with him being in the midst of this I've been screwed so many times storyline and him having that U.S. title and the juice situation, I'm thinking that. And plus, like, we kind of talked about how Shingo hasn't really necessarily been kind of treated as, like, a major guy this past year the way he, he was the previous year. I don't know. That makes me feel like Osprey's going to lose on the final night. And Shingo's gonna beat ELP in a pretty major match, and then go through to the semifinals. Here's the other thing that happened, though. Shingo pinned ELP at Forbidden Door, so ELP so can get that win is back. That, is that the ELP gets the win back? Was that a big enough? It, it was. It was definitely a big enough stage, and I think that that has to be part of the. The, the thought process here is that Shingo pinned ELP in one of the only New Japan, New Japan interactions at Forbidden Door. So you have to believe that's going to end up meaningful in one way or another. And does that mean on this last night, ELP spoils Shingo? 
it could spoil him or, win. or he could go through himself but then he could go through yeah why not but it feels like if could, if all things being equal that would probably create a, a situation where juice likely goes through i don't know if that's what they want to do is have juice and hypothetically likely naito that doesn't sound very sexy it, it doesn't, but if you want to elevate Juice and have some Bull Club representation in the semifinals, I could see that happening. But That much? That's too much. <laughs> <laughs> it, it probably is too much, but you, you know how Gato likes the book. He loves Heat. He loves the Bull Club, so they, they might want to do that. Uh, but I, I, don't, I feel it's going to be Osprey Shingo. The only thing for me is I feel like it's more likely to have the U.S. champion in the semifinal over the provisional KOPW champion. Right. I feel like that KLPW uh, trophy is holding Shingo down. It's, a, it's an albatross around his neck, and I don't think he's going to get pushed very heavily as long as he has that trophy. So I don't see him going into the semifinals. I think it's going to be Osprey as the U.S. champion. So on one half, you'll have the world champion and Jay White in a semifinal bracket, and then you'll have the U.S. champion, which should be the number two belt, which they've been trying to reestablish, but due to COVID and injuries and all kinds of stuff, people having a, you know, appendixes bursting and all kinds of stuff. That belt's been all over the place. Um, so here's a chance to reestablish U.S. title, secondary title, a top title, putting it in the semifinals. Well, that all of that is true. However, I mean, I don't think the KOPW really defines Shingo as much as Shingo kind of defines the KOPW. You know, I don't see it as an albatross. I think especially if hypothetically you don't see him winning the tournament at all. Like, I feel like him going to a semifinal and then losing in the semifinals, probably the perfect slotting for a guy of his station being KOPW, you know, he's not Yano, you know, exactly at this point. Um, The other thing too is we've seen ELP like, like have, especially in super juniors have all these like, different things he's trying to do and then fail at it. And that could be his whole entire story. The whole time is like, I'm coming for Shingo. I'm going to get that win back. He embarrassed me, blah, blah. And then he just fails. Yeah. Um, in a great match. Yeah. In a great match. The other thing too is again, going back to it, Naito, if Naito is the guy that goes through, and I think he's highly likely he's wrestled Shingo one time, they're stable mates. It, it, that was a fantastic G1 match from years ago. And they've never run it back. So if, that would be a big, big deal if they did wrestle again. But with him and Will Ospreay, if they wrestled, they're doing a first-time ever match, something that maybe could arguably be giving it away on too small a stage where it might be deserving of a, of a Wrestle Kingdom kind of, you know, sort of, or G1 final sort of s- slot. And maybe maybe if you're booking, you don't do it right now because it's, you know, you don't need to, that's too big for Budokan at this point. It's too big for the semis. Yeah. For the semifinals. I don't know. Right. It, maybe- it, it, that's to me, Naito will is, is probably the most protected unused match in new Japan. I, I can't, you know, looking at these 28 guys, you figure these guys would be involved in, in any of those matches. Like that's the biggest match I can find from this talent pool that isn't common or, or has not happened. So, is the semis the right spot for it? Pro- probably not. But if not, then when? Right? Is it 
the, you know, the, like that's the thing. Right. Is it Wrestle Kingdom next year, 2025? The only thing that about seems that, like it's in a long time. <laughs> we we said the same thing a long time ago initially about Jay White and Naito, and they ultimately ended up doing it as like a, a block, you know, one of the final nights of a block night when we we're like, really, you guys are doing it that way? I thought you were going to save it for, you know, like a finals or, or a Wrestle Kingdom. So maybe. But that maybe, was announced. Right. Well, I th- right. I th- like that was, that was announced. So you knew like, oh, I got to be in the building for that. Right. Like yeah. this sure. wouldn't be announced until like less than 24 hours before. And I feel like that that does leave some money on the table. I think though, if you want to establish the semifinals and you, you're going to keep this four mm. block format, and you want to let people know, like yep. in the future, the semifinals are going to be a big deal. You're, you're going to get some big matches in the semifinals. You can kind of establish that by having a Naito Osprey first time matchup. So then in the future, you know, oh man, the, the semifinals we're, we're going to get some two bangers. That's going to lead to an even greater final. Um, so that maybe that's the, the the logic there. Yeah, there's a lot of long term uh, stakes involved here to give two really high level matches on the on the last night, or on I'm sorry on the semifinal night. So yeah, I think that's a that's a great point that if you want this to be a successful format going forward on zero days notice, um, you kind of have to give quite a lot on the first time. For me. And I'm just looking at everything. I think Naito's winning this year's G1. And because I think he's You're winning this... You're not alone in that. Well, I didn't feel that way. Like I felt like that was an emotional thing that a lot of people were calling for, but it's like... I, the other guy I could, I could definitely see an argument for is Okada, especially with how Gato likes to do back-to-back winners <laughs> so often in, in, in many different you know, facets of his booking, but I think Okada would find his way into one of those Wrestle Kingdom night main events, regardless of whether he wins this or not. And I'm just looking up and down and the other two guys from D block that make sense to me are Will Ospreay and Shingo, but one's us champ, one's KOPW champ, you know, that just kind of feels like weird slotting at this point. Um, I, Zach is a dark horse, but probably not still just looking at everybody all things common with jay white being champion and i don't i don't think that they're going to have the champion win the g1 this year i think naito's the guy that makes the most sense and if naito's the guy for me that makes the most sense i think the the most marketable match that's not blowing the most money is him and shingo i think it's him and shingo in the finals he beats shingo i think we're going to get either okada versus Jay White or Okada Sonata or Okada Tanatonga, one of those things. And then, uh, yeah, I think Okada goes through. I think we're going to end up with a fourth Okada-Naito match this year. Naito beats him, making, what, the score 2-2 two to two yeah. for the year. And Naito wins the G1. I think that's what's happening. And I think that's a certain possibility. And I think the thing is with Okada Naito, it's like it might not be big enough to headline a dome anymore, but in, in this kind of context, I think it's still a big enough match, at least now, now that they're like spamming it, to do it finally as one major final that it's never happened before as a final of a G1. They can be done with it and they can make a lot of money off of it. And 
it'll definitely draw and then they can move on. I think if you're, if you're squeezing that juice, squeezing that fruit right now, getting the most juice out of it as you possibly can this year, that's what you do. You do Okada Naito, you have Naito go over, Naito's winning the G1. I'm, and, I'm pretty, I feel that that's what's happening. And like you mentioned, Josh, you, you can still easily get Okada into a title match at the Dome. If you have Okada beat Jay in a semifinal and you don't do the fall title defense and you, you can do the double, double title thing, you can have Jay White, Naito one night and then the winner of that face Okada the next night because Okada has the win over Jay. That's how you get Okada slipped in a title match if you want him in a title match. I, I would have said either Shingo or Zach being heavy, likely favorites, but them both being tied up in those two title pictures between now and then, that just feels weird that they would win the G1. Like I, I, I think that that's going to prevent them from moving through. Same thing with Jay White being the champion. I think all three of those guys should potentially be potential winners, but because they're champions, I, I don't think it's likely. Well, I we're going to hear about it a lot, probably, but the last time the, the top IWGP champion won the G1 was in 2000, which was the last time it was a four-block format. Mm. So all, all the stars are aligning to Jay White actually winning the G1, and then... Maybe he calls his shot, and he calls. That was Sasaki. Somebody, um, I don't know. I'm trying to remember. I don't I know think, off the top I of my head. I think it was Kensuke Sasaki won it that year. So there's a lot of matches for Jay to call out that I think would be really exciting too. Um, maybe even people who are not in the G1. Mm, maybe like a one John Moxley. Sure. Or. or <laughs> Kenny Omega. Yeah. Or one Kenny Omega, right? Yeah. Like, I mean, if, if, if that is on the table, that particular match, if that's on the table, then I think that there's a possibility that, um, that Jay, you could headline the dome with that. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Sasaki beat Manabu Nakanishi in the finals of the G1 that year. Man, what a weird layout for this G1. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that would, I mean, when it was so small, too, right? How many wrestlers were in that? Uh, 20 wrestlers, five, four blocks of five. Five per block, yeah. And every single person that won their block won with three wins. Mm, so weird. <laughs> and not only that, they had, they, they had uh, two yeah, tiebreakers and then, and then the semis. Yeah, they had two tiebreakers and then the semifinals, so it's kind of weird. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there is precedent there that the champion has won before. The thing that has always held it up in the past is the Wrestle Kingdom title shot, obviously. But like we started at the beginning of the show, we're like, well, what are they going to do this year? There's no double gold dash. They're trying to do multiple nights. Well, what if they just throw everything into flux and have Jay White win? And then if Jay White wins, then the possibilities of what they could be doing on the multiple Wrestle Kingdom nights, they're open at that point. Yeah. Right. Uh, so most ante- most anticipated match, um, I think for me, it might be for all of us is Osprey and Chingo. Those guys just don't miss. They they have a you know five star match in their sleep. Um, so I think once again they're going to have another um, incredible matchup. Osprey Shingo is the greatest feud in in ring feud in wrestling since Okada Omega. So yeah, another chapter. Let's go. 
I'm also really looking forward to, I mean, that I, I don't have to, to elaborate any further on that, but I'm also really looking forward to ELP Osprey on the first night and, mm. and ELP and Shingo too, because I, I'm, I'm just curious to see what style ELP adopts. Um, I, I do think he's a candidate to leave bullet club. Cause what, I mean, what's his lane going to be right. So like, I don't know if that'll play out here or something like that. Um, I think that, I think that that's an interesting wrinkle as, as, as well. So, but yeah, I mean, there's plenty to, plenty to work with, with Shingo and, um, with Shingo and Osprey, except their matches have been going long. That's what I was trying to look up here right now. Yeah. So they've, they wrestled in the G1 once and that was a 22 minute match, but they're, the Antaku match was 44 minutes and 53 seconds. New Japan Cup 2021 was over 30. And then Best of Super Juniors final was over 30. So it, I, I like to see them work a more sprinty pace. Um, or maybe this is a match that is a candidate to actually go to a draw. Mm, yeah, they could do that, yeah. Yeah, and that I would think be interesting. It's been a while since um, Gato's done a draw in the G1, it feels like. And he's teased it a lot. And in the past, he's done them as definitely as uh, tools to kind of eliminate and set different things up. And with there being four blocks, I think the chances, and this many competitors, the chances we get a tie at, in a pivotal uh, point this year in, in a major match, it's a lot more likely. Yeah. So any other uh, final D block thoughts before we answer some of these questions? I mean, you guys didn't lay out what your, uh, you know, general predictions are i know chris seems to be pretty uh doesn't want to tell us everything (laughs) (laughs) i i don't have a read on this one but i do think will and and juice are going to get mixed up in the u.s title picture which i actually think is going to end up eliminating both of them Mm -hmm. so i think shingo going through to naito sounds great and it sounds like a money match. I mean, like that's the I think that's the level and threshold of match that you put in a semifinal like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's also an opportunity to book both Lij guys strong, but also, you know, eliminate one of them at some point. So I think I if I'm betting, if I'm booking, it's Shingo going through. Yeah. Um... I don't know. I think I'm. I think I'm still leading Osprey right now. Which I mean, they could pull the whole. New Japan's still screwing Osprey. Juice can cheat to beat Osprey, and kind of like you were saying, Josh, have that claim of you know I beat Osprey. I have the belt, so I should be the champion. They could easily go that route, but I don't know. It's just something about reestablishing the U.S. title for me. I think makes a lot of sense. So I, I'm gonna go with Osprey and Naito in that uh, semifinals there. Then I had Okada and Jay in the other one, so I think uh, we're going to get that Okada-Naito match like you were mentioning, Josh. And what, how do you see that playing out? Do you have Okada going repeat, or you got Naito you know, picking up his third win in a G1? I would have Naito picking up his third win just for the fact that Okada, like, like we mentioned, his wife is going to be giving birth soon, and there's talks about him taking you know, the fall off. So I think you you keep him strong by having him beat Jay White, so he has a, a title match kind of in his pocket based off that win. You have him in the finals, and so he goes on break strong, comes back from paternity leave, to, you know, leading into Wrestle Kingdom, and you can get him in the main event that way. And then you run with Naito in the fall, defending the briefcase and build to Naito and Jay White. 
Nice. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M dot com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. All right, so let's answer some of these uh, G1 questions that were submitted by the listeners. Uh, so first from Rambone's Slam Pig, when evil wins his block, do we riot? Yeah, but where, like, how are we going to riot? Like, am I just going to break the shit in my living room? Just, <laughs> I'm going to break my shit? <laughs> now we go to the streets. <laughs> evil could win his block. Good. Yeah. We, we, okay. e- e- evil has a, a track record of selling of selling tickets in big matches. He doesn't have a track record of selling tickets in, I guess, pre-announced like title matches per se. But if if there's a match that can eliminate evil from doing something that uh people don't want him to do people buy tickets to see that match mm, yeah like he's 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 oh, been really on, effective in, <laughs> in well that's exactly it like he's been really effective in moving tickets on those last minute on those last minute um bookings so like new japan cup and um last year's g1 when jeff cobb knocked him out right those those matches, as they built in intensity, sold a bunch of tickets. So, like that—that that is kind of in line with what they need from that, you know, seeing, you know, from the block winners this year. So, do we riot? Maybe I don't know. <laughs> I I don't I don't have a lot of hate for the the evil thing since it's been downcycled yes. into kind of what I what I think is more like the correct slot for it. I actually kind of enjoy it. Um, but with that, I know that they know what they have in, in evil in the sense of being able to um, get people excited about somebody losing instead of just rooting for the person that they want to win. So, and I think that that's a unique uh, characteristic of evil right now because people desperately want to see him lose. And then, you know, on the other, the rest of the heel side of things, those are guys that like, yeah, you want the baby face to win, but like if Will Ospreay wins something, like it's not, if evil wins, we riot, right? So right. I think that, that that's an interesting slot for evil. Worth worth being attentive to. 
He also asked which of the first time participants will have the best point total. Who will do the most to raise their stock in the company or the wider wrestling world? I mean, with there being 28 guys, there's so many. I, I think we're going to see a, a multiple people attempt to do what you're saying there. As far as um, first-time guys that have the best point totals, I think that ELP will probably be the, the leading candidate. I could see Jonah also being a potential, but um, I say ELP just because he's got a contract. He's been with the company for a long time, and they tend to usually invest in their own talent as opposed to you know, kind of like freelancers and outsiders, you know, they're sort of secondary. I feel like they're going to get bundled up. They're all going to kind of land in the same place because there's, there's just not much time to spread them out. Um, but I, if I, I think Jonah is my pick. I think that, I think we're going to see, there's a lot of guys that can be beat in the A block. So like I said, I think that's going to be kind of one of the parody blocks. And I think that, you know, Jonah might eat up some, might, Jonah might get some wins that, you know, maybe on paper are surprising. And then I think that'll inflate his his total a bit. Yeah, but look at ELP. He's in a block with Yoshihashi, Dave Finley, and Yujiro. <laughs> Those are three guys. I'm not saying he's going to beat them, but he could beat all three of them, like, easily. And, and then he just has to beat either a Juice, a Shingo, or a Will just one time, and then he's got four points. That's like, you know, now we're talking about maybe winning the block territory. So, Yeah. Uh, throw somebody else out there. I'll say uh, Filthy Tom Lawler as being the longest, you know, reigning strong openweight champion. He's beating guys big and small. That rare nigga choke can choke anybody out. Uh, not me. <laughs> uh, so I, I think Tom has a good shot of being a, a first timer that gets a lot of points. Uh, Rambo's last question here: Does the four block format increase the likelihood of the champion winning his block because the final winner could theoretically have gone through someone else in the semis? Is someone else beating Jay in the semis a likely catalyst for the for this year's double gold double gold dome shenanigans? Yeah, I mean, I feel like we, yeah, we kind of covered this, but. Yeah, I mean, it's with it being a smaller field, it makes it. Well, I mean, I don't think it really matters whether uh, whether it's four blocks or not. I think the champion always has a potential to be in play towards the tail end. But yeah, I think Jay White should win his block unless they want to, like we discussed, have someone else spoil him and set up a fault tile defense. Yeah. Uh, next question yeah, here, I, but I, okay. I. I was gonna say I do think it, it, it. We've we've really dug in on it, but I do think that it absolutely increases the likelihood of the champion winning the block because you've got uh, another roadblock between the finals, even. Yeah, and with it being the 50th year anniversary, they've been trying to do bigger and unique and cool things. Well, that's a unique thing hasn't happened, you know, in almost what 22 years uh, to have the champion win the whole tournament, and then like we mentioned. You, you can bring in a Kenny Omega. You can bring in a, a John Moxley. You can bring in some other bigger guys to kind of face Jay White. Kota Ibushi. Yeah. <laughs> 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 um, next question here from a key director, 3748. Who do you think is the jobber in each block? And if they're going to get a win, who will it be against? Is someone in C block losing to Hanare? I think it's going to be harder this year than ever for there to be true established like they're gonna lose every single match sort of um players but i mean just kind of 
going through the field. I think Ujiro's the standout in D block. is probably the standout in C block. Chase Owens probably the standout in the B block. And then in A block, kind of Toro Yano is pro, or Tom Lawler, just depending on how you want to book. Those are probably the two guys. Um, and I'm not saying Tom Lawler is a jobber per se, but if you wanted to have someone lose more than they win and, you know, basically only win two and lose four, that might be the guy. I would say Fale. That might be block. Fale. Or, yeah. or Fale. I, I overlooked him. Yeah, Fale is probably a Yeah, you're right. Probably Fale. Fale is probably the guy that has the least chance of, of picking up a bunch of wins. But, I mean, when I look at even a guy like Godo, I think is really interesting this year. He only went three and six last year. So, mm-hmm. Godo, you know, in that C block, which is hard. I mean, obviously, obviously you have Hanari in there, right? Like, and he hits his first G1 and yada, yada, yada. And, you know, maybe he's not going to do so great in the win-loss. But the other, the only other guy on that, that I see is in the C block is, is Goto. Uh, so I think the Goto matches get a little more interesting because he's going to have to lose a bunch probably. So, um, but yeah, I think, I think Josh pretty much nailed it. Or, or it has the opposite effect with there being a smaller field. It may, it means that they all go parody and he does better than last year. That could happen. Sure. Uh, but for a second part of the question, I, I think um, Hanare will get at least one win and, I think Goto would probably be the perfect guy for Hanari to beat and to, to get that really big established win. Uh, moving on to less commission seven, two, five, two says in each block, which wrestlers are you guys looking forward to the most? I have Lawler in a block, Tai Chi in B block, Kenta in C block and Shingo in D block. Hmm. Um, For me, I think Lance Archer, cause I, I love, his work in the G1. So for him, I'm going to say him for A block. Uh, for B block, believe it or not, I'm actually going to go with Tai Chi just to kind of see what his story arc sort of looks like and see what kind of bangers he, he puts out. Um, in C block, it's going to be Zack Sabre Jr. just because. And then D block, Shingo, because it's Shingo. And I, I, Shingo's just going to fuck everybody up. It's going to be great. <laughs> for me, I think A block... I gotta give a, a tie to Jonah and Tom Lawler because I'm so I'm so intrigued to see where they're headed with kind of the Japanese side of New Japan. B block Jay White because I I I don't I'm looking forward to this championship run from Jay White and anytime the champions in the G1, everything that they do can lead to the next step in their championship reign. So I'm um, I'm I'm most intrigued by his tournament. C block. Um. Naito just because I, I consider him the favorite of for to win the tournament. So, you know, what is what is kind of his redemption or rebuild arc kind of look like here? And then D block. I you know, I keep talking about it, but I'm really looking forward to El Fantasmo's tournament just to see how he elevates and, and where, where he's going now that, you know, he may not necessarily have a lane in uh in Bullet Club. For me, for A block, I'm going to go with Filthy Tom Lawler. They spent so much time investing in him in New Japan Strong, and I want to see how that will translate over in uh, New Japan proper. Um, B block, I'm going to go with the great Okan. He's a guy that, like I said, he, he's young. He's a very good wrestler. He's getting over, and I want to see if they're actually going to kind of capitalize on the wave of momentum that he's been having this year. 
Then for the C block, I'm going to go with uh, Zack Sabre Jr. Um, just incredible tournament wrestler, one of the best wrestlers in the world. Um, it's always a fun guy to watch. Um, and then for the D block, I'm going to go with Will Ospreay just because he is having an incredible tier this year. It's, you know, almost like a repeat of his 2019 where like I keep saying I'm, I'm saying the ballot in now. Ospreay is going to be the wrestler of the year, whether he's wrestling in New Japan, Rev Pro, GCW, AEW. He's having the best matches everywhere he goes. And, he, and so he's obviously going to be fun to watch in the G1. Um, and then his next question here on the New Japan road shows leading up to the G1 after every LIJ tag win, it seems that Gato could have all three or two of the LIJ members win their blocks and have one or two going to the finals. Would it be a bad idea to have two members of LIJ in this year's G1 finals? Yeah, because you're, we are, that would, yes, that would be a bad idea because that would mean Sonata made it to the finals and is <laughs> facing either Naito and Shingo. That would be a huge fucking mistake. Just say no to Sonata. <laughs> also evil by extension as well. I'll, I'll throw him out there too. Well, we already talked about, I, I think where I slot that type of match would be something like a semifinal. So, um, but I'm, I'm here for it. If that's, if that's going to be the case, but I don't think Sonata is going through. I don't, I just don't think that they're behind him at this time. So I don't think that we're going to see a all LIJ final, but maybe the semis. Yeah, I think the semi of a, a Naito and Chingo is probably the, the spot to do that, especially since we missed out on that rematch last year with Naito being injured on the first night. That would be a nice little treat to do that in the semifinals. Um, but, I mean, Naito and Sonata, I don't think they've really done that a whole ton. So LIJ, I think LIJ fans would eat it up, but I don't know if the, the rest of the fan base would enjoy that. Um, and it's last question here. What match do you guys see being the best match in this year's G1? Mind the Shingo versus Osprey or Ishii versus Taichi? Could be anything, but it's hard to beat Shingo Osprey just in general. Yeah, they're going to have a lot to work with. I mean, the 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 incredible chemistry. It's it's going to be tough to to come out on top of that. Naito Zach could have the, could have a hell of a match too on that last block night because this you know the stakes kind of bring it up a touch. And then, you know, the, the history between those guys, I think they might have have quite the match, too. Yeah, I think the smart money has to be Osprey and Shingo. Those guys, like, what what's their lowest rated match? Like, four and three quarters? <laughs> like, these guys are going to go out here. They always deliver and have these, these incredible matchups. So, that's the, I think that's going to be the best matchup. So moving on, the Dark Soldier. He said, before the pandemic hit, G1 block finals used to have bigger matches, like Naito... Versus Tanahashi or Okada versus Ibushi. Now block finals just feel random with Okada versus Archer seemingly look like the decider for the A block this year, or Shingo versus Phantasmo for the D block. With the bigger matches like Osprey versus Shingo being placed in like night six or nine, why the change? Well, we've discussed at length over the past couple of months since we knew the format change, the pros and the cons of it. So there's no need to get into that discussion. But, I mean, I, I do feel like you're, you're looking at this a little bit in the wrong way. Don't look at whatever the last couple nights of the block finals are as the replacement for your traditional 
A or B block finals, look at the actual A versus B block final as your A block and your C versus D block as your B block. And you're going to get something that is comparable. And it's also comparable in the sense that it's being held in a similar size building, similar drawing show. It, it's the same thing. It's just different format. Yep, I agree. I I I I think that the block deciders will end up with you know a good amount of buzz, but I don't. I think he's this this question asker is correct that it's different this year, and and but we have to be mindful that those semifinals are going to be big matches. Yeah, and also like you mentioned earlier, Chris, with this whole format change, there's going to be a situations where somebody gets through by somebody losing on that final night. So just because like it's happening on the final night doesn't mean like that is the block decider. Okada Archer might not be the block decider. Um, there could be some other match that happens that night that goes through or somebody happens wins on the night before and somebody loses and that person goes through. So there's a, there's a lot can happen um, on that final night or the nights before. Yeah, that's the thing, too, is, like, oftentimes New Japan fans presume, just because based on the history of booking, that whatever ends up being the main event on those last couple nights is the decider or, like, the A block or B block final. But the match itself is not the final. The whole card is the final. And however everything shakes out, depending on how many people are alive going into that night, I mean, look at this scenario where Goto, when he wrestled Kenny Omega in the G1, he didn't win the the main event of that final night. It was dis- it was determined because he won via mathematics because Okada and Tanahashi went to a tie. So this is actually, in a certain sense, way more definitive than what we used to get in the past because we're going to know going into it like, okay, the A block winner and the B block winner are facing off, and this is like a solid thing on that last you know on those last couple nights which is pretty cool yeah he also asks which aw wrestlers do you feel like should have been the g1 and don't use danielson that's what everyone else says well you know i'll tell you this like hypothetically would have been really cool to have some other outside guys like not even just from aw but like maybe a t-hawk or something like that or yeah, like a Brian Danielson come in, sure. But we have 28 dudes. We got a bunch of guys that are getting their first times in. There's a bunch. I mean, there's there are some people I could say, like, just based off of status, like, do you want to cut a Dave Finley or Yujiro and replace it with a bigger star? Sure. Would I be fine with that? Sure. But for the most part, it's not that much room. There's not that much fat to really trim here. So I'm not I, – I mean, even that question he said should have been in here, it's like, I don't know. How many guys can Tony Cohen really do away with for a whole, you know, month and a half, two months of summer that can't be on TV? I mean, I don't know. And my answer would be Brian Danielson and it's my show. And I can say it's, it should have been Brian, Brian Danielson if I want to, (laughs) but I'm fine with the way it shook out. I'm fine with it just being Archer. I'm fine with there not being a bunch of AEW guys that have literally no shot of winning the tournament being in it. I'm fine with it being mostly new Japan. That's good. Uh, yeah, I can't uh, can't say much more than that. But I think what I like to remind people of, and and, and this more came along around Best of Super Juniors, but like New Japan tournaments are not AEW developmental. No. <laughs> so 
like New Japan tournaments are actually like a higher status when it comes to in-ring professional wrestling than even you know your your biggest AEW matches and that's just based on history right like the history of the G1 climax it's a really big deal so you do talk about that tier like Danielson and Moxley right like those are that's the tier that you talk about when you talk about the G1 and I think that that's the tier that I would like to see now does that mean that they quote unquote should be in the tournament no that's that's up to them and and Tony Khan and the the other people that are booking, um, but that's the level that we should be discussing at all times if we're talking about entering the G one. You have to be top tier and a huge a pretty huge star. The one guy that I would say that I thought had a shot of being in this year was Eddie Kingston. Just, just due to all the stuff he's been doing on New Japan Strong, and yeah. we saw him um, having some big matches on these U.S. pay-per-view shows. I thought he's a guy that he, he could miss a month and a half of AEW TV, and I think it would be fine. But there are so many injuries in AEW, and he is a, a top bay face. They definitely need him for the summer, but he's a guy that, hypothetically, I could see him doing a G1. He's a guy that you can beat and kind of go 50-50, and it's not going to be that big of a deal. Well, two, uh, he's a guy that comes to mind as someone, like, in the future, in a, in a perfect world scenario. Would I like to see him in this? Sure. Another, uh, definitely. Another guy, Miro, just stylistically, Miro's another guy. And I'm sure there's a lot of people we can name. But you know who the one guy is for me? The, like, one person that I'm like, I really, I have to have them in New Japan. And... I felt this way before he ever came to AEW, which was just recently, and that's Claudio. Like, mm. I've been talking about wanting Claudio in New Japan since we started this show, since before the show existed. Like, he's always been my dream guy to come to New Japan. The one guy that I'm like, he shouldn't be in fucking WWE, he should be in New Japan. And now, like, we're, we're pretty close to that being able to possibly exist, so. Yeah, that'd be awesome. I wanted, I wanted them to, like, announce him before he like I want I didn't know he was going to AEW. I wanted him to be announced as a free agent coming in and making his debut. That's what I really wanted. That call money speaks, man. <laughs> <laughs> uh next question here from at JWLTN on Twitter. First says, Who's your dark horse bet this year? Oh man, I don't know that I ha- have a dark horse bet. Um is there like one do you guys I mean, if there was a dark horse that I think is plausible that a lot of people would be like, yeah, it makes sense, but, you know, is also probably not expected, maybe Zack Sabre Jr. That's who I was going to say. Maybe Tamatong. I think my, <laughs> mine would be Great Ocon if they just really want to get behind oh, a, yeah. a young guy. Yeah, that'd be great. That'd be exciting if they did something like that. I mean, for better or for worse, like, they need to try something sometime. And second question, how does four blocks impact the probability percentage calculations as compared to the usual two? I think we've kind of covered that. Well, Chris, do you have yeah, well, to add? I think that question's for for my weighted block win probability metric that I'd like to roll out the tail end of G1s. So the, the thing about that is that it um, it takes into account more of what you have left to do as opposed to what you've already done. So, um, but you know, three or four matches in it, it, it it's all going to land about the same. And that's, it's mostly for fun. 
shows like a nice arc. You know, it, it, it puts a metric behind what we would call a story arc. Oh, so is it like, I see, I, I'm, I wasn't familiar that you did this. So is it like when you're watching like world series of poker and like they get their hand and then it's like, okay, yes. depending on what, okay. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. Like the, the likelihood of them now winning the card or the, this hand is X percent right. or whatever it may be. So, yeah. So I've got this like, you know, litany of metrics that I throw into the document and it spits out what the probability is of them winning the block, which is, um, it's, it's, it actually turns out to, to be quite a fun thing to look at. And like, as we go into like the finals nights. Nice. Um, at Paul Elliott underscore three sixteen says more likely this year, someone goes undefeated in block action or someone goes winless in block action. I think it's more likely that someone does go undefeated than someone completely goes winless. But I think they're both possible and on the table. I think it's tough to go winless when you've been put into the G1. Yeah. Like once you're once you're there, like you're going to get a win unless you're never going to be in the G1 again, which is usually kind of relegated to the older guys. I'm just looking so. at Nari, you know. Uh, I think I think, I think Hanari's on the up. I think he, yeah, Hanari's <laughs> gonna at least at least get one. I hope so. We've been fans of his. I'm just saying. I'm just looking at the. <laughs> I'm looking at the kayfabe. Uh, but yeah, I think it's more likely to go uh, undefeated. And I, I think, man, I just have that feeling. Jay White is gonna be the guy to do it. Um, next question here from at Zach Tay six underscore. Do you like that NJPW is changing the format for the G1, or do you think it should stay with the two block format? I do like that they're trying something different, that there's a lot of upsides, but I see some of the negatives. And so I'm optimistic and excited for this. But I will tell you, going through the list, going through all the potential matches, and one of the things I've always said is a positive is, like, they're not going to burn as many big matches throughout the year. They can protect things. But now I'm sitting here and I'm like, I don't know. I want one of those stack B blocks, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so that's the drawback where I'm like, eh, I don't know. Like, you know, we don't have a Bushi and Ishii and Shingo and Okada and all these guys like in the same block, just like going at it night after night. So I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit like, let, well, let's just give it a chance and see. I like breaking up kind of the trend. I mean, it, it not that the G1 is ever stagnant by any means, but we've been in the same format for 10 years now, essentially. I mean, you had one one year of nine and one year of, of 11 per block, but ultimately you're looking at the same tournament every year. And I think doing anything different opens up some creative outlets for them to take different paths or build stars differently. Um, so I'm, I'm excited for it, and but I also like... I don't think I'll end up like married to it either in a sense that I'm going to want this every year. I, 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 I would be certainly open to like going back to like the quote unquote classic two block formula, uh, coming up soon too. So, but I, I like something different it gives me a different way to look at things too. It is in my role with, uh, with the, with the company. Yeah, I, I like the, the switch up this year and getting the four block format, getting some more people in there. And like you said, you, you can always go back to the two block we've seen in the past. Like obviously, two thousand did a four block, and then it went right back to two block. So if this doesn't work out, then you can yeah go right back to the two block format, ten man, and you know everything will be gravy. 
But if this works out well, this makes more money. Uh, fans are more compelled by it. I think you can do this for a few years and change the tournament up a little bit. Yeah, and I think um, worth noting that like I feel like for the four-block tournament, the sweet spot's probably 32. So it's not... Because you already are able to spread out the the schedule for the guys that you need to spread the schedule out. If you're going to do this one block match per night thing, you can create bigger gaps for people. Um, but then you add in a buy essentially when you're looking at kind of match one, two, three, four, five, six or whatever, like that creates even more space. So you've kind of doubled down on creating space between singles matches for guys. And I think if you added that eighth guy into each block too, then you, you've got maybe a little bit better pacing of the tournament. So I think that would be worth exploring as they go forward. Yeah, I think if you add an eighth guy too, I think that kind of alleviates kind of what Josh was talking about, about having more stacked blocks. You can have some, you can bring in, you know, four top guys and to fill out that eighth spot in each block, and then you get more great matches as well. Yeah, and that's not to say that I I, I think that seven is the wrong number, but... I, I I always like even number tournament blocks because then everyone just wrestles kind of at the same pace, even right, if you're yeah. spreading out like this. So whereas now we've got this kind of big start and stop for some of these guys. And, and I don't know what that means for their body or, you know, for, for what they're trying to accomplish. But, you know, having 12 nights between um, two matches and then having, you know, three and five days, like that's probably not physically easy. So that's, you know, but that again is, is something worth noting and, and hopefully that gets brought up and, and that helps tell the story of the tournament for some of these guys. Yeah. So this weekend, the tournament kicks off. We have the, the first two nights. So opening night, July 16th, we'll have Fujita and Nakashima taking on the team, filthy team of Royce Isaacs and Tom Lawler. So yes, Royce Isaacs making the trip to Japan, going to be on these undercards, teaming with Filthy Tom. Then we'll have Oiwa and Yano teaming up with TMDK's Bad Dude Tito and Jonah. So, yeah, Bad Dude Tito on the undercards part of the tournament. I really wish that Bad Dude Tito was in the tournament and not just on the undercards. I've become a big fan of Bad Dude Tito um, and his work on Strong, and I think it would, it would have been fun to see him uh, in the tournament. Um, we also have uh, Dave Finley, Jado, and Tamatanga versus House of Torture, Evil Show Nudro, Archer, Taichi, Taka, and Zack Sabre Jr. taking on Fale, Chase, Juice, and Kenta. Goto, Ishii, and Yoshihashi taking on Bushi, Shingo, and Naito. And then we'll have our four tournament matches, C-Blocks, Tanahashi versus Aaron Hanare for the D-Block, ELP versus Will Ospreay for the B-Block, Sonata versus Jay White, and then the main event from the A-Block, Suchiko Okada versus Jeff Cobb. Then on night two on the 17th, we'll have Finley and Yoshihashi taking on Royce Isaacs and Tom Lawler. In the second matchup, we'll have Archer and Takamichi Noku against Fale and Phantasmo. Then Aaron Hanare, Great Okan, Jeff Cobb, and Will Ospreay against House of Tortures, Dick Togo, Evil, Sho, and Nudro. Jado and Tamatanga versus Chase Owens and Jay White. Goto and Okada versus Goto, Okada, and Tanahashi versus Bushi, Sonata, and Naito. And then the block matches will be from the B block, Ishii versus Taichi. From the A block, Yano versus Jonah. From the C block, Kenta versus Zack Sabre Jr. And then the main event from the D block, the Dragon, Shingo Takagi versus Rock Hard Juice Robinson. 
this is a good chance to highlight the return of traditional G1 undercard stuff, um, which is fun. It's usually very quick and breezy and easy to easy to consume. Um, and it might give you a little bit uh, of a picture of what these singles matches are going to end up looking like as we go. So um, love G1 undercards. Yeah, the other thing, too, is, um, you know, I, I haven't done as much in-depth analysis about the scheduling the same way you have, Chris. But, I mean, I got to imagine that some of the guys that are, like, having, like, their off nights will be involved in some of these tags and be setting up things that are going on. So, you know, with some of them having, like, long layoffs and stuff, it might be worth tuning into a match that might be relevant to what's happening, you know, in that individual's tournament later on. Definitely. Yeah, there's uh what is this? So there's only two wrestlers with two off nights, and then there's another one, two, three, four, five that have one off night on the whole tour. But so 21 of these wrestlers are on all 17 nights. And okay. And uh, you know, a couple of a couple of guys have like some miscellaneous very brief time off. So pretty much everyone's on every card. Like that's almost almost a certainty. Um, so yeah, it does it keeps these guys in the front of front of mind. When I meant off night, I meant from tournament action. No, I know. I know, okay, I'm, gotcha. but I'm just saying, and and then, but then you said, yeah, so you should check out the undercard to see how they're doing, right? And uh, you know, because I think some of those results might end up kind of playing into the story of the of the singles match, right? So these guys are all going to be a part of this whole tour. It's not like they're actually off for twelve nights. Um, so that that I think actually adds to the importance of the undercards. Nice. So that's going to wrap up our G1 Climax 32 preview. Um, there will be a contest. So sometime after this show drops, be a lookout for our Twitter at Chaos Drunk Style. Uh, we'll drop the, the form for that contest. You guys can make your picks, uh, get those picks in probably by, you know, midnight um, leading into Saturday and you know, have some fun, get your pickums in and, you know, get into G1. So real quick, we got to talk about some of the stuff that happened at the 2022 Business Strategy Press Conference that happened last week. I'll kind of run through some of the highlights here. We can kind of give a um, brief thoughts of uh, what they talked about. So uh, first, a return to the UK. NJPW will return to the United Kingdom on an unspecified date in October, their first UK date since Royal Quest in London in August of 2019. Uh, G1 special event. The G1 special show will be an outdoor card hell in Rapungi Hills on August 20th in conjunction with media partner TV Asai's summer station event. Uh, New Japan and Stardom. There will be around two mixed tag matches at the joint NJPW Stardom event on November 20th held under traditional mixed tag rules of men facing men and women facing women. Donnie said that Stardom has come into Bushi Road Group 2.5 years ago and has exploded in growth. Soon, much like overseas, the Japanese scene will be genderless and more integrated. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Stardom talent will begin appearing on NJPW's strong brand in the U.S. Chairing special sections will be set up with social distancing to allow chairing at events on September 5th and 6th in Cork and Hall. Uh, for G1 attendance, Abari stated that 2019's G1 event sold 96,000 tickets, while the pandemic in 2020 saw that drop to 36,000. 2021 G1 attendance fell further to 28,000. Obari said that they have exceeded 30,000 tickets sold for this year's G1 already, 
with a goal of 50000 set. For talent and recruiting, both Obari and Katani spoke about the need to change their approach to handling both older and younger talent in response to societal changes. Obari said the company needs to create a path to allow for post-college talent to enter the company as more than 80% of the population in Japan now attends a vocational school or higher education after primary school. Obari also said that they would like to create a path for older talent to transition to jobs within the company office after they retire from the ring. Kadani touted Azumi and Starlight Kid from Stardom as being great talent because they started training at a young age and spoke of wanting to create a way for high school students to begin training in pro wrestling. Obari mm-hmm. spoke about the need for the company's talent roster to get younger with an emphasis on youth and recruiting as they have more wrestlers in their 30s and 40s compared to 10 years ago. Oceana Obari spoke on the company's New Zealand dojo and has plans to run events in Oceana through no specific dates were mentioned. Hiroshi Tanahashi Tanahashi will be the face of a new protein line introduced by Bushi Road as a part of the WellBe Gym franchise and will consult on the brand as well. Hiromu Takahashi uh, touted a new series of Bushi Road Rebirth trading cards. Great Okan has new merchandise available designed by Obari's brother and touted the Strong Spirits app. Uh, there will be a NJPW Music Festival at an unspecified date this fall. And NFTs, the company has a plan to introduce NFTs through no specifics were announced as to when. Wow. So I was definitely wrong last week when I thought that this was going to be pertinent to the G1. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, all all about the uh, business plans going forward. Yeah, they kind of unloaded a lot. And I mean, in a slower news week where we weren't reviewing the G1, I mean, I feel like this would be like the main story because there's a lot to unpack here. Um, obviously we don't have the time to go super in depth, but there's quite a few things here that like really stand out to me where I'm like kind of good, kind of bad. I don't know. I've got some mixed reactions to some of the stuff they said here. What stands out to me is them being so forthcoming with their plans. Mm. I think that, and I've never really been like, that. I know that not to this extent, right? I mean, we've seen business strategy, um, type either documents or or press conferences happen in the past, but never with this much detail. Right. And, and like their objectives going forward. Right. So I think people are really attaching themselves to this, this, a lot of stardom news, right. That we're going to start to see some, some integration, some cross branding. And then that stardom talent will start to appear on new Japan of America shows. That's almost a bigger deal you know, on, on our end, obviously it happens in America, but also like in the U.S., co-gendered or, you know, multi-gendered shows are normal. And and it's more, you know, I think even in this press conference, they referenced that there was a women's championship match on Forbidden Door because that's how American shows are. They have women's representation. And it's, I think it's big of New Japan to recognize it, recognize that they have an asset, and then know that Stardom's a pretty strong brand and can probably sell some tickets. And and you've already got this structure of, of having American events. So that's, I think that's exciting for a bunch of different segments of the fan base. And I think um, that that's like the biggest takeaway here from like the long-term planning that I, I wouldn't anticipate them being so forthcoming with that particular bit of information. I think when it comes to the stardom stuff, um, I think that, that a lot of it sounds very exciting and probably will be. I mean, we've already seen how, you know, uh, 
when they've had some of those tag team matches from some of the, the women on stardom, like how high level they are. And that's just a little taste that we've gotten in it. You know, there, I'm sure there's a lot of crossover where people who listen to this podcast, probably watch stardom and are aware of how fantastic those girls are. Um, so that's very exciting. And the idea that there might be, they, you know, that they'll be bringing them over and integrating them into New Japan Strong, that's exciting as well. The one apprehension I have, and I, I think some people are probably thinking that this will sound crazy or implausible, but I think if history, especially with, like with mixed martial arts, repeats itself, it's not that. I think this could easily happen. Um, I would be really apprehensive of them integrating and then ultimately swallowing up stardom. Cause I think that that would be maybe better for, for new Japan as a whole. maybe there'd be some benefit to the performers, but long-term to the whole Joshi scene, that would be a tremendous, tremendous loss if it ended up playing out that way. And I, I think that that could easily happen depending on how the, the inner workings of the business like actually play out. Hopefully that's not the case here. Hopefully it is a scenario where, they want to keep these two brands separate and they want to integrate them together and, and feed off one another and grow together and expand together and kind of get more visibility for both brands. And if that's the case, I'm all for it. But if it ends up being something where like stardom ends up not existing and gets swallowed into new Japan and pretty much the premier Joshi league goes under, that would suck. Yeah, that would be very detrimental to the Joshi scene there and with New Japan kind of controlling everything. But we'll see what happens. I mean, I'm very excited for them appearing on Strong. I went to the Stardom show that happened Mania Weekend 2019 in New York, and it was a, a blast. So if these girls come to your town, you have to go see them uh, as a part of the Strong tapings because all these Stardom girls are awesome to watch, especially watch live. So speaking of New Japan Strong, real quickly, we had the Ignition Tour kicking off this weekend with the Strong Openweight Tag Team Tournament. So the first match of the night, we had um, the team of Christopher Daniels and Yu Yu Amora, who was replacing Carl Fredericks. They defeated the factory of Aaron Solo and Nick Komarodo. We had Jonah defeating Taylor Rust. And then in the main event, TMDK's Mikey Nichols and Shane Hayes defeated the West Coast Rick and crew of Jarrell Nelson and Royce Isaacs to advance. Any thoughts on all uh, this past week strong guys? I didn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> it is grade one climax season. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm saving myself. I, I, I took a refrain from watching strong to build up my strength for the G1. I do. I will say I do often like load up three or four episodes of Strong and play catch up, and that's kind of a fun way to consume it because I like take almost one entire actual live show and watch it, you know, in the in the order they intended on uh, on New Japan World. So um, that's kind of my strategy with Strong right now. Except they, show, play, they play them out of order, though. I know because I've been at I, you. We've all been at Strong tapings. And, yeah. But they, I, for mine, it was like groups of three because mine, I think, taped three episodes. And it, like, it went the first group, then the last group, and then the second group. I don't know. They just like bounced. But it, it was in these clear blocks of three. They didn't do that with ours. They cut ours up. No. Oh, they completely yeah. cut it up. And I remember watching it and be like, 
that didn't happen in that order. Uh, but yeah, this week's strong. It was a lot of fun with the tag team tournament. Uh, Daniels and Yamora kind of getting the win was kind of surprising there with them being kind of a random team. And even though I know the factory from AEW, they're more of an established team. So that was fun. Uh, TMDK, man, those guys, they haven't missed a step uh, teaming together. They looked really good um, in the main event against West Coast Rick and Crew. That match was a lot of fun and kind of a, in a way upset because you would think with West Coast Rick and Crew, they've been an established team on Strong for so long that. They would be in it, but obviously with Isaacs going to G1 undercard, they had to lose and get out of there. And uh, Jonah versus Taylor Russ with a very fun match with uh, Jonah getting uh, another victory over Taylor Russ, remaining undefeated going into the G1. So next week, the tournament will continue. We will have Dark Orders, Evil Uno, Evil Uno and Alan Angels taking on the Aussie Open team of Kyle Fletcher and Mark Davis. Filthy Tom Lawler will take on Bad Dude Tito. And then in the main event, the final first-round matchup, Stray Dog Army's Barrett Brown and Mysterioso will take on the Midnight Heat of Ricky Gibson and Eddie Pearl. Jonah won and Team TK won. So, I mean, either you see it one way and you think no one ever dies or you see it the other way and you're like, NXT never dies. (laughs) Black and gold forever. (laughs) Wait, it might be coming back. Trips is here and he's back. (laughs) Uh, so uh, running through some other news items here, New Japan is returning to L.A. in August. The company announced Wednesday night that New Japan Strong Fighting Spirit Unleashed will be taped at the Vermont Hollywood in L.A. Sunday, August 21st. T- tickets are now on sale. The prices range from 25 for standing room tickets to $90 for ringside seats. Current IWGP World Heavyweight Champion Jay White and New Japan Strong Openweight Champion Fred Rosser are announced for the show. New Japan. I heard that they're going to be unifying. <laughs> uh, man, that would be hilarious. Uh, that, that, that's how you get your, your double gold dash. You, you throw in the, the strong title. Hey, Fred, we're going to need you to give us that gold back. We need it now. <laughs> we told us a really good emotional story, but uh, go ahead and uh, hand it back over. <laughs> uh, New Japan has announced uh, two new matches plus a uh, change and already announced about for the strong high alert taping in Charlotte on July 24th. So a previously announced uh, Hiromu Takahashi versus Clark Connors singles match will now be a three-way with El Desperado added to that matchup. And then a new addition to the lineup, AEW's Eddie Kingston will face Jake Something. And another newly announced bout, the DKC and Kevin Knight will take on the debuting Heat Seekers of Elliot Russell and Sigmund in a tag team match. And I just saw that some more uh, matches for that taping uh, have been announced on Twitter. So our good friend Rocky Romero will take on Dax Hardwood. Ren Narita will be teaming with Kushida to take on the work horsemen of J.D. Drake and Anthony Henry. John Schuyler will take on Lucky Ali. And Drew Adler will take on J.R. Kratos. So fun, uh, strong take bits coming up there in Charlotte. Rocky needs to fuck up Dax Hardwood. <laughs> Uh, then we got Music City Mayhem and a lot of big matches being announced for this show. Uh, the main event, John Moxley versus El Desperado in a no disqualification match. Uh, we were kind of speculated on that last week and uh, Moxley has accepted the challenge of Desperado. Davey Richards is set to return to New Japan for the first time in over a oh decade. <laughs> uh, Richards will take on the wild Ronald Clark Connors at Music City Mayhem. 
Uh, Richards last appeared in New Japan on a tour of Japan in March of 2012. And, of course, he was IWGB Junior Tag Champ with our good friend Rocky Romero. Also add to Music City Mayhem, Hiromu Takahashi will face Blake Christian. And then uh, just popped up on Twitter, Kushida has challenged Alex Shelley for Music City Mayhem. So that's oh, that's cool. So we, we got G1, but this Music this music City Mayhem is also uh, pretty stacked in the middle of G1. A lot of great matches lined up so far uh, for this show. Yeah. Uh, last week I, I had statements about Moxley and Desperado. Like the one neutral location where I don't see it being a squash in any way, shape, or form is here on Strong. So I, I'm really glad that they're kind of doing it there. And I think that they can uh, have a fun, pretty creative match there. It's going to be outrageous. Well, well, think about it. If it was in New Japan proper, Mox would have probably have to eat him up. And if it happened, because oh, he's, yeah, a, he's a junior, and if it happened in AEW, right. he'd give him some respect, but he'd have to eat him up. But because it's strong and it's open weight and yeah. everything like that, and it's kind of away from prying eyes, like they can have an awesome match. It's going to be awesome. I'm so excited for that. Yeah, it's going to be super bloody. There's going to be skewers, thumbtacks, barbed wire. It's going to be awesome. Also, also Someone might die. <laughs> Richards and Clark Connors, like the two guys that probably been like the most compared to like Benoit in the last like 10 years or like 15, 20 years, like are going head to head, like the old generation, the new generation. So, you know, hopefully Davey doesn't like work too stiff. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm excited to see Davey. That's a fun card. Yeah. Uh, I saw Davey wrestle Mania weekend against uh, Speedball Mike Bailey, and that was a super fun match. So I'm I'm glad that Davey's uh, getting another shot here. Uh, we also had some updates from uh, Kota Ibushi went on another uh, Twitter string of responding to fans. And I think the kind of key highlights was him saying his shoulder is getting worse. He can't do push-ups, and um, there's talks about him potentially starting his own promotion and all kind of uh, random comments. And we had a question here from friend of the show, Dan Coffin. What percentage chance do you give of seeing Kota Ibushi in an NJPW ring ever again? And and of and of ever wrestling again at all. I I think that he's definitely gonna wrestle again, but like maybe not to the same level or capacity that he did in the past. Again, I only say that because he sounds pretty determined to wrestle on some level. Even if it's like the new Japan dad comedy level, he's gonna get in the ring and entertain again at some point, most likely. Um even if it's like a walk and brawl or something like that. As far as working in New Japan, it's becoming less and less likely with every comment, every post. And I'm not even, like, dogging him for it, like, because according to him, a lot of the things that New Japan said and did during that press conference doesn't line up with what his understanding of it was. And so it's sort of a case that he he said, she said. Uh, Again, if this was a a slower week, this would be a major story we'd be covering in depth and giving more time to. We just don't have the time to do it. But... uh, the basic gist of it sounds like he's never coming back to New Japan and he's making plans to do something on the outside or and he's also not in good health as, as far as his shoulder recovery goes. And again, it's Kota Ibushi. So how seriously can we take any of these comments? Who knows if in a year he's back in New Japan and you know working main events again? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, we can only know what... Ibushi's saying and then and then how it's being translated on Twitter, which is a dangerous thing to put much stock into. 
So I put, I put most of my um, stock in Twitter. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Right. Totally normal. Great decision making. Um, yeah. So I think that this is probably more complicated than most of anything we're familiar with because of how contracts are used in Japan. And so, and, and how little we all know about all of that. So it, it's tough to say whether, you know, it, it's really tough to say. I, I think Kodobushi has been very clear that he does not want to return to New Japan. Um, but he hasn't said much about um, what he actually wants to do. So, but again, it's also wrestling and things change very quickly in wrestling and things blow over very quickly in wrestling. So I, I think this could be headed anywhere with, with Ibushi. Yeah. I think just kind of base all the comments. I know we can't take that, you know, a hundred percent. I think that it's going to be highly unlikely that we see him in new Japan anytime soon. I mean, you know, you never say never in the wrestling business. So maybe in a couple of years he comes back, but I think relatively soon, if he does get healthy, I don't think it initially will be uh, New Japan. I think that contract, they're probably going to let it run out, and he's going to kind of do what Ibushi does. We've seen Ibushi in the past kind of, you know, freelance, go travel the world, do different, wrestle in the streets, you know, do all kind of random stuff, and then he might be back. Uh, you, you never know. But I think the most alarming thing is the fact that his shoulder is not getting better, at least that's what he says, and it's almost been almost a year since he had that shoulder injury. Um, so that's kind of um, not not a great news there for him so hopefully he can recover at some point and we'll be able to to wrestle again i don't know how you let a contract that runs for a lifetime run out but okay <laughs> i mean that maybe the lifetime was a work pal <laughs> uh so in other news uh ishimori versus hiromu from new japan road for the junior title will be airing on access this week after impact wrestling on NJPW1972.com, there's an interview with Jonah talking about uh, his first G1. Kushida making his Impact Wrestling debut at Impact Wrestling's Derby City Rumble July 15th and 16th. And then in Glate, Doki and Kanamaru will take on El Lindemann and Soma Watanabe on Sunday, July 7th. Or- They're going to shoot. It's 17. Wait, what day is today? So that must have been Sunday, July 17th. Yeah. Typo. There. I was going to say, like, the 7th already happened. Yeah. So it's July 17th is when that, that late matches. Um, so we're running real close on time here. I think we should probably uh, bump these questions, these non topic questions here to uh, next week and do. I read them. They weren't good, anyways. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just playing. <laughs> I didn't read them. I never, I never prep for this show. I don't read anything. Uh, well, let's do a recommended match of the week real quick and uh, close the show out. Um, so last week for the excursion match of the week, I picked Tyus Alexander versus Will Ospreay from West Coast Pro. Josh, what do you think about that? Yeah, I watched this match. Um, you know, it was very good. Uh, about 15 minutes. The first thing that was really strange, did you guys watch this? Or I know Jeremy probably did. I have not watched it yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> So Osprey walks out and this like while he's it's it's a small venue, you know, and this woman gets in his face and she's like, you know, I don't know what she's saying, but she's talking a bunch of shit. And and like she's in the aisleway and she's got her arms out and she's not letting him through. And like Will looks so pissed. 
<laughs> and then eventually, like, he looks like he's going to, like, take the high road. And, like, I, it, it, in another way, I would tell you that this was a plant, but I don't think it was a plant. And he looks like he's going to try and, like, respectfully slide past her. And then he gets to a certain point, and he fucking checks the shit out. <laughs> he checks the shit out of her, like, into the guy that she was with. Like, just, like, fucking, bro, he sends her fucking flying, like, which, like, it gets a little bit into that realm of, like, you know, they always say, like, you shouldn't, like, touch the performers or get in the ring. Like, she was definitely, like, crossing that line. So that was, like, the – and then the weird thing was, like, she's in the, like, hard camera view for the rest of the match. And anytime Osprey does anything, she's, like, you know, like, totally, like, giving him the boo. But, like, it's, like, it's like pure hate. Like, she hates this dude. <laughs> but then anytime – there's like a great sequence between him and, and Titus Alexander. She's like on her feet, like cheering. I'm like, you know, Osprey was part of that. Right. Like, like, I don't know. It was just so fucking weird. But anyways, um, the match is very good, but you know, it's kind of like, I don't want to take anything away because I think for this guy, Titus Alexander, I've heard that he's like, I've never seen him before, but I've heard he's like making a name for himself and coming up and he's very talented. So I don't want to detract from him, but this is kind of like, you know how Suzuki has his road match now, and you know what to expect? Yeah. Uh, Osprey kind of has his road match. The difference is, is his road match is fucking awesome, and they're like <laughs> four stars. <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I don't want to take away from it and be like, it sucked, because it didn't suck. It was great. But it's kind of like, if you've seen an Osprey road match against, av- you know, normal, like, indie guy, that's kind of what this was. It was like your 15-minute WrestleMania weekend. Like, I'm working this venue, but I have to be across town in like 30 minutes to work the main event somewhere else. Like it was kind of one of those deals. Mm. It was very good, but it never got to that next level where there was like a lot of near falls or, you know, believable epic spots. They, they, they did some great diving and some great brawling and some pretty elaborate, uh, you know, chain spots. But um, I probably go like three and three quarters, maybe, maybe four. So I don't think it was necessarily like a, excursion match of the year contender but it it was definitely a really enjoyable 15 minutes of wrestling and i if you haven't seen i'd definitely recommend it you might be higher on it than i was yeah i definitely will check it out i I like the nick wayne match better and that was another one i didn't think was a a full-on contender so nice then for recommended match of the week you picked jushin thunder liger versus the great muta from october 20th 1996 Watch this matchup, and it's definitely a more of a kind of a spectacle matchup <laughs> than your, you know, your work rate matchups. There weren't a ton of uh, flips and dives, but it, it was a wild, crazy brawl. Um, they had, you know, there's the strong, t- strong style table out there. Uh, Muta give a pile driver Liger on the outside and continue to use the table throughout the matchup. And of course, obviously, the big highlight of this match is Muta ripping up Liger's mask, and you get. Keishin Liger coming out and just making these like tribal, it's like screeching noises and warning. Bro, it kicks up when Keishin Liger comes out, huh? Yeah, because at first it's, it's kind of slow and plodding, you know, there's yeah. a lot of powder, a lot of just kind of brawling on the outside, but once the mask rips and he's Keishin Liger and he's doing like the scream and these guys are brawling all over the place and it was just a really intense uh, brawl. You, can, you can tell the fans are just totally like mystified by both characters, Great Muta, and then with this uh, you know new Kishin Liger uh, variation of Liger. Um, 
so really intense. And then towards the end, uh, Muta busted out the the red mist, hit the the Muta Moon Salt, and uh, put Liger away. Um, so definitely a fun historical matchup. Definitely a, a big moment, but definitely not the you know the the, the work rate moves matchup. No. So um, now for this week, what do you got for the excursion match pick? Well, you know, I've heard some good things. It's airing tonight on Dark. We haven't seen it yet, but I think it's probably going to be one that's worth mentioning. So my recommendation for the excursion match of the week is uh, Shoto Mino versus Pac in RevPro for the Atlantic Championship. Nice. Then for recommended match of the week, going with uh, Wrestle Kingdom 5, Shinsuke Nakamura versus Go Shiozaki. Nice. Well, Chris, thank you for joining us this week for the G1 preview and covering all that news. Go ahead and tell the listeners where they can find you online. Thank you for having me for another wonderful G1 Climax uh, preview. I think this is my third, probably. So one of my favorite shows of the year. So, um, and your favorite show to be on, period. <laughs> Listen, the numbers don't lie, okay? That's all. That's, I'm going to let you figure out what I mean by that. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the Chris Samsa. Um, I will be super active. I think I'm going to watch most of the G1 cards live, which means I'll kind of live tweet my notes. Um, and then, yeah, I'll have everything up at sportofprowrestling.com for the G1 over the next couple of days. It'll be, it's, that'll kind of become my G1 central if you will. And then um, I'm sure I'll see, you'll see some posts over at voices of wrestling.com too. Nice. So you guys make sure you go ahead and check out Chris's work always brings the, the great stats and the great insights. So follow him on Twitter, check out sport and stay in touch with all things that he's doing online. And that's going to wrap things up for this, for us this week. Next week, we'll be back to review the first two nights of the G1 climax 32. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong style logo. Make sure you connect with us on social media. On Twitter, the show is at KI Strong Style. You can follow the network at Social Suplex. You can follow me at Jeremy L. Donovan on Facebook or Facebook.com slash Social Suplex. On Instagram or at Social Suplex on Reddit. I'm the pro black guy. Josh is keeping it strong style. You can email me, Jeremy, at socialsuplex.com. Check out all the other shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network. One Issue Radio hosted by Rich Latta and James Boyd. The Grave Consequences hosted by Caleb and Maserati. All Things Elite with Floyd and Austin. The AW Match Guide Podcast hosted by Sir Sam. And The Great Match Generator hosted by Danny. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review. And we will catch you next week on Keeping It Strong Style. The Ace of Podcasts. Chibon. Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.